0: Greetings, Gitcats! It's time for another chit-chat. Number 53. 53. I've got my little whiteboard here and it says 53 with Josh Monday. Now, my headphones just said to me that phone two is disconnected. That could be a bad thing. That might mean that I can't hear my guests. And if that's the case, I will just have to turn them back on and turn it back on again because that's what you do. Um, But who's at my door ding dong no other than mr josh monday from roland and boss hey josh how are you man
1: oh that's the most applause i've had for a long time i like that though can you just keep that on standby please
0: i can i can <laughs> um okay so that just confirmed that i can still hear you through that that was that always happens with live stuff them. and that's why people like to tune into the live broadcast because people love a train wreck that had potential. I do. As I said to you before, I turned on my other computer and that tried to take over my um, my Bluetooth here, but everything is cool. When the little lady in my head says "phone two connected," that had me worried, but it's all good. You gotta Josh, the voices. Roland and yeah. Boss, Australia. How long have you worked for Roland and Boss in Australia?
1: Oh, straight into that. Wow, that's a yeah, a long time, a long time. Uh, I started there in ninety eight. Ninety eight. So okay. That's, uh, 20 coming up to 23 years very soon and i'm not by any by any stretch the longest serving person at roland australia so there's there's uh the few guys that had been there for maybe four or five years before me are mostly still there and very productive parts of the Roland. so yeah it's a it's a it's a great place to work and it's um a great gang of people and now there's a lot more uh, a lot more younger people as does happen as you get older so yep it's, yep. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really great culture and a great place to work.
0: Well, I think that is testament when people stick at a job for a long time. That means that they're working with good people and they don't want to look elsewhere. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, but that's great. I'm going to jump back a little because I do want to get you on as a bit of a regular to talk Boss and Roland products as yeah. they're being released. Um, but I would like for the folks at home to get to know you uh, a little. Oh. So. I'm going to ask you the question that I normally start all my chats with, and that is, what started the love affair with guitar for you?
1: Oh, uh, guitar. Well, it's it's kind of intertwined with with other things for me. So it's uh, um, music in general. So I, I, if I can go back a little bit further to to, Please do. to work into that. Yep. Uh, great. Um, so I I started uh, keyboard. Had a thing for for keyboards when I was maybe, uh, I think I was maybe five and wanted out of the blue, wanted it like a 10 key key keyboard, just all white keys, you know, little, little thing. And I wanted that. It must've been at a supermarket or something. And, and uh, I pestered my mom, pestered and pestered and got this, got this keyboard. And there's no music in my family. It wasn't back then. Anyway, there's, there's some, some of the younger cousins are, are into it now, but there certainly wasn't back then. So it was, it was sort of in a vacuum. So I started, and this, and the obsession started, I'm sure my mum would have rightly thought that would end at some point or the fad would end, but it kept growing and some sort of feedback loop, whatever happens with musicians, you know, it. like we, we all have that thing. One day it does, it, it, it feeds back to you and you feel good about it and you just keep doing it and eventually do it in front of people and you get to build your ego on it. And there's all sorts of feedback loops that keep happening. And, and that's how it was for me. it, it, it was, and it just kept going. So I kept playing, I had organ lessons, you know, the three keyboard organs doing the feet and everything. Yep, did that's that. how I started. Yep. Yeah. Right. Okay. There's, there's so many people that I meet now that have a similar, um a similar journey like this. You know, they they nod and there's this you know, you meet these people as you go, I'm sure you know. Yeah. And um it, it's awesome because you just have all of these synergistic things happening in your life. So I had that and then um I think it was a fan forced organ, all, all sorts of strange keyboards that I had. And then uh maybe in uh high school I took up saxophone as well and this is in Tasmania by the way I'm Tasmanian so okay. this is, uh you know the, the sunny sunny shores of Tasmania so I um I started playing saxophone and terrible stereotype for Tasmanian I played a bit of banjo and then um and then I think so I was well into high school when I started guitar so I think I was around 13 or 14 when I started doing that so I was well into um, an old Roland SH 1000 that we had, one of the first synths. It had an old analog synth at Wynyard High School, where I was. And then we had a Yamaha DX7 Mark II, which was very flash. Um, you know, many, many a jump lick was played on that. But I think my intro to Van and Halen and, and therefore guitar and guitar shredding was kind of into that synthy guitar type rock that was around at the time, right? Yep. So that, I, yep. I love that. I used to do a lot of recording with another drummer friend of mine in, in, in high school. We'd go in after hours and have key. And, and I remember just wanting to play all the parts. So I just started playing guitar more. And, that, and that's how it starts, right? And it gets at you. It's like the earworm for guitar, right? And then I think it was Richie Sambora, major thing for that at the time. Yeah. Austin. Yep. Van Halen. God, man, there's you know all of the same things i'm sure you could tell this story back to me and you'll have exactly the same the same bands right this is this is how these things go
0: absolutely well yeah. i was um i was surprised to to learn talking to you the other day when i bumped into you that um we're born in the same year so we've probably got a lot of the same yeah. influences right. and, exactly. and so you probably yeah. grew up learning to play van halen songs in the fan hagar era um like i did yeah. um and then sort of going back over the old catalogs. But surprising that you started out... That's right, yeah. yeah. Surprising that you also started out playing keys, sax, banjo, et cetera. Yeah. Um, The fact that you work for Roland Boss, uh, such a technology company, I'm guessing that's a great (laughs) founding to have um, roots in synthesizers and things, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've had people over the years said, gee, you're really lucky you work at Roland. And for me, absolutely deliberate. There was, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a clear path cause I don't think life works like that, but it certainly when the opportunity arose, Roland was the one that I wanted to work for because I, I went for, um, from, from high school and playing in bands and different things. I think I started gigging around, I don't know, 14 or 15 or something playing in bands, playing saxophone and a bit of guitar and stuff and singing a bit. And then I went to, uh, university in launceston to do uni uh, do music at uni and so i was 17 or something so whatever year that was let's not let's not dwell on that and then uh i I did i did saxophone and piano there initially and then did uh guitar for the second year but really i wanted to play in rock bands i didn't really want to be at school doing that so i was playing more and more gigs and that just sort of sucked me over this direction um yeah and then i i started working in a music store that happened to be a rolling dealer and um city music in launceston so it must be early 90s yep. and uh you know working in a music store i'm you know, it, it, sure you know right again it, it's it's like you're kind of like you're the bartender right you're like the the person that comes in you talk about the gigs and they come in just to hang out and talk about gigs and you are just sort of this little nerve center that you tend to hear everything in mid-touch with everything yeah so i really really like that but it, but that time i really become a, a role of nerd and we had a lot of synths and different things. And I used to program quite a bit, um, on the old, uh, uh, micro sequences. So on the MCs, I still got an MC 50 at home actually from back then, you know, programming in, in micro step time, which is a fascinating way to spend your time. I highly recommend it. And le- you should learn Sysex while you're at it. That's just as enjoyable things that things that you no longer need, but they yep. were, they were in this back then. Right. Yeah, so I, and I was uber nerd for this stuff. So I, you know, I there was a, a module called a JD990, the double two rack space module, which I loved and always wanted one. And they were about three and a half grand at the time. I couldn't afford one. So, like a true nerd, I I ordered a manual for like $65 from Roland to be sent down so I could read the manual, which was, you know, manuals are much better now than they used to be, right? They yeah, roughly translated back then, though. <laughs> they could be a bit dodgy, too. To read, so oh, yeah, I, I always enjoyed that process. That was just something, yeah. And now, even now, I tend to overcomplicate MIDI rigs and all sorts of things. I just love that process. That's that's great
0: because you can, because you can. Yeah, like I have seen go. other people try and pick up MIDI. Which, man, your your story sounds so much like mine. Uh Just you know, yeah, with you know the ages that you started playing in bands and uh, yeah. yeah, um, and it was a big thing like i too i didn't have the the you said a roland mc50 um sequencer yeah i was an an atari guy so i was using notator m40st yes c lab yeah
1: Yeah, yep
0: yeah so i'm well aware of how different sequencing is now like i see people dragging Mm. and dropping loops and they're going yeah i'm a producer and i'm just
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yes MIDI, isn't MIDI that dial that I dial around on the on the software? Yeah, oh, man, yeah. It's really...
0: But yeah. You, I... you understand that stuff, which I find other people sort of like you mentioned systems sysx messages systems exclusive. Mm. Um yeah, I see some people just go, what's that? And it's just like, man, that's just a mm. way for the machines to talk to each other and you know, program change numbers, yeah. control change numbers, all that stuff. So um yeah, yeah I think synths technology yeah. in general it's a good way to get started in all that
1: it is yeah and it's a good understanding i mean i'm glad we're not in that era quite so much now but it's good to have a uh, a foundation in it i mean it's it's good to understand how and why it works and and you know the fact that we're slowly moving to midi mark 2 now can only be a good thing because it's such a you know it's such now it's such a limited protocol to what it can do and it's it's from a, it's kind of from a bygone era and uh, you know um, Tarek Kakahashi, you know the, the founder of Roland and Boss. He was um, instrumental in that the, the origin of, of MIDI. Yeah, right. Him and Dave Smith. I think the story. Um, uh, yeah, I've heard this story quite a few times. But basically, between him and him and Dave Smith, writing it out on napkins in a in a cafe in the, in Japan uh, where they where they figured all that out and how it was going to work. And they used the din plug, which is the, you know, like the high fi din plug at the time. That's what the MIDI plug is, even though they use just three pins yep. out of it, you know? So, um, yeah, all, all of that. So I remember getting a, like, I had a Kitty Hawk controller board. Yeah. You know, the big, the yep. big 10 thing. Yeah. So the, the guy, the guy in, um, at city music in Launceston where I worked, uh, Darren Hill, he, um, he was extremely knowledgeable. He's he a really knowledgeable guy. And I used to just extract information. Not that he cared about telling me in particular, but I would extract this information out of him. And he's extremely knowledgeable. And he imported Kitty Hawk at the time from Germany. Yep. Did, like, so, and and people like Jack Jones that you talked about, that you've spoken about. Jack used to call the store. And so there was, there, you know there's all these points of connection for me with him. But because of him, I sort of had a, an exposure to... Things like Soldano, which, you know, a kid in Launceston normally wouldn't have an education other than in magazines of yeah, things yeah. like Soldano, um, you know, like more advanced gear. So I had all of that and he had a rig that had um, that Kitty Hawk board had a, just a XLR plug in the side. And I couldn't figure out why he had a mic cable plugged in the side of his controller board. I'm like, well, why? I don't get why that's like that. Why didn't we have a MIDI cable? What? How does that? He's like, that is a MIDI cable. It's only three connections. Three points of connection. That's what your XLR cable is. It's just a more robust version of your MIDI cable. I went oh, right. See these. Yeah. You don't go to school to learn all this stuff, right? It's just no. like little droplets of things you get over time, over the decades, and if you're lucky. Absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, so I got very it's, lucky there with, with that.
0: It's funny. I um, when I first started playing in bands in high school, uh, our keyboard player went on to go to the conservatorium to do um, music technology, and. I stayed in touch with him and he was, yeah, yeah. And he was learning the to, to yeah. sequence on, on the Atari using notator and I'd watch him doing it. It's like, yeah. Oh, I need one of these. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was, was getting the, the vital information. So it's good to have a mentor, isn't it? That, um, can pass oh, on all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, one way or the other, you know, you just, you just find this stuff out and, and uh, certainly I'd, I hope it's not still this way now, but then, there was a lot of, um, a lot of learn through, uh, someone being not so nice to you about something you know like you go to play gigs and the sound guy would have an attitude or the lighting guy or someone else would you know just bark at you things and you're going i've got to try and figure out what the answer is from him his dismissive comment to me i think i've got to figure like your sounds not working great what do i do with that information so i go and let me let me figure out what that means so you know a lot a lot of that sort of that that type of learning and well, if I'm i at young people now, I try not to be like that. And I do enjoy um, the process of teaching or imparting your wisdom for whatever that is. I think you get like that as you get older, you want to you know, you want to be that guy for that for somebody young that you didn't have or something. That's want I, I like totally I totally relate like that.
0: And when I when I'm teaching guitar privately or uh, I'm always trying to impart what I call the shit that matters because there's a yeah, lot of teachers yeah. out there that teach stuff that it's like learning algebra or something in high school. It's like, am I really yeah, going to le- need this right. in the real world? Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's certain things that I didn't learn till much later in life. And I try and get those into students quite young. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no one's going to tell you this, but this really matters. It's, it's um, going to matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah That's
1: yeah, right. But yeah. I mean, even now I like, um, you know, the, the overcomplicating things. I, I play, I play, well, I did play in a cover band until about a year ago. When when all of this happened, but even that cover band that we play at, I bring an overly complex rig. I've got everything running to backing tracks, even though it's a live band. We don't have a keyboard player, so I've got keyboards running the backing tracks. Um, but now you can use audio, you know, not just MIDI like we used to be able to do. So all audio backing tracks, but there's MIDI tracks running beside it that change all of my patch changes for my entire rig during the song for me. So I don't have to touch anything. I can drink a beer, I can sing, and I can play and and. Uh, and everything changes around me so all my patch changes are in the backing parts they're all just yep. happening and even for the vocal effects i've got vocal effects and delays changing at different times during the song and all of that sort of stuff so i, I and that's you know most of it's completely unnecessary and why do you do it because you can it's the because you thing, can. right why do you find yeah. it there. yeah yeah and that's great and i've looked into trying to automate the lighting as well and dmx stuff and i just go oh man it's just a whole other thing to go down. I just, I'll probably do it at some point because I can't help myself. But
0: yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah. That's, that's,
0: that's so part of the journey, right? It is absolutely, and part of the journey yeah. is learning to understand MIDI. And you mentioned before that MIDI mm. two is in development. That's been in development mm. for a little while. What do you know yes. about it, mate? What is MIDI I don't two? have
1: a lot to update you. I, I mean, other than the fact that it was, um, uh, I don't know how many NAM shows ago it was. Um, you remember NAM shows? They used to be a thing. Yes. and
0: uh, <laughs> They're a great
1: thing. <laughs> will, they come, will they come back? We'll see, I guess. But uh, there was, I can't remember when the announcement was. You'd know as much as I would like to, to do a Google search because I don't know where that's up to. I just know MIDI 2.0 was the, the big thing and how the, the protocol is going to be used. But But no, I'm... I'm not, uh, not in that updated with that. In fact, was thinking about, um, I'll leave, i was even thinking a lot about, uh, the boss pedal world when we're talking about coming on here and talking about boss, I went, man, there's a little bit of me that gets a little bit scared whenever I open my mouth about boss, because there's such a cork sniffing nerdity around pedals, you know, like you start going, Oh, yeah when were they released oh 1977 it's like you're like there's like a whole 10 comments ago oh, it was 76, you that's right december it was a wednesday you know it's, it's yeah. such a, and the chipset that was used on that is different to the chipset and there's all of this and and for a for a guy who's been a boss a long time um i've got uh, quite you know some of that history quite a bit of that history over time that, that i have um and yeah but it's only ever from your point of view right one man's point of view of the of history that you see so I've got a lot more of the last 20 years, of course, than I have before that. But it's it's interesting because it's most of the people that I know at Boss and at Roland aren't of that ilk, aren't of that cork sniffing ilk, interestingly. Yep. I think um that, that it's an interesting thing to see because it's that they're aware of it and they understand it, but a lot of it uh happens after the fact, right? So like the um the Klon guy, right, that says, the, whatever. He, what was the quote? The ridiculousness the that Rick people have made of this side, is not yeah. of my making. Not of yeah. my doing. Yeah, that that thing. It's like, you know, Roland boss don't set out to to make this culture. It happens afterwards. You know, the 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 TR 808 is a classic example of that. Made to be a realistic sounding drum machine, and it kind of was for its day, but then it wasn't. Then it got sold second hand. You know, guys bought it. They started playing, making rap music with it, and now it's your know, dance music. with, You know, that's it. Horrible history. I didn't mean that. Please don't correct me. I know there's like there's a hundred variations of that particular story, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just whitewashing it all, but it's, um, it's broad brushstroke stuff that later on, it became what it became, you know, it wasn't kind of intended to be a pop dance music classic. (laughs) It became that later, you know, and I think a lot of that stuff with, um, with anything vintage is kind of true. You know, anything becomes a legacy, the thing that gets built around it, is not necessarily what it was intended to be.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's that it's it's an interesting thing to watch, you know. And you know, we have little jokes in the industry. It's like, you know how to make a pedal successful, discontinue it. You know, that's how you'll sell more. You know, this, sure. the day that it gets discontinued, you will get phone calls going, Well, can I get the old one? It's like, What? We had you know <laughs>
0: no one wanted <laughs> it when we made it before, and
1: you didn't necessarily want it and now it's become cool. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's the insanity of, of that sort of – that type of thing. I shouldn't say insanity, but it's just the way human beings like to be um, – like to hearken back to the past, and I think a lot of musicians especially are like yeah. that. Right? Yeah. And that's how these things get created, the, myth so, that, the myths that get created around things. Sorry, go. Uh,
0: Josh, I was going to say Boss is Roland's guitar division, right? Is that – it's strictly their guitar products? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what do you know about the history of, of Boss, how that came Most about? Hmm.
1: Well, the original pedals, I mean, you know, th- there was a bunch of pedals before the compact, you know, the traffic lights here, which were the first ones. Uh and that was 77. Again, I'm in dangerous territory here. I'm going to get some dates wrong. I'm going to get corrected. Uh So my apologies in advance. But before that, there's a there's an array of crazy sh- shaped and weird na- weirdly named pedals kind of, some of them yep. are pedals, some just weird looking boxes. Um the, uh, our marketing uh, manager, Mark Smith, Mark Smith. I'm naming you. Mark Smith is a Boss pedal collector and a pedal collector of of those legacy pedals from beforehand. And I know most. Well, I've actually had to got to see them and play them only because he's collected them. Really. And it's so there's we I mean, there's one called a B bar, a Boss B. <laughs> Yes, it's called a B bar. Why? You turn it on and you plug a guitar in, and you'll soon figure out why. There's all these weirdly named pedals, and he's got them all. So before the compact pedal, there's there's just a bunch of experimentations, uh, uh, and um, there was uh, I, I, in Japan once I saw uh, Mr. Kakahashi. He did he showed a tuner that he'd made in the shape of a revolver. So the. Now I'm just trying to remember the 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 presentation. He was always great at making presentations, and it, because he'd start out and you go, "Oh yeah, I get where you're going," and then he'd just like, what, you know, what do they say about Vernon Reed's solos? Some people go out the door and then they come back in again. Vernon just goes out and leaves, you know. So <laughs> Mr. Taro used to like Mr. Kakahashi used to start these presentations. You go, "That's great, Oh, that's awesome. Where, where is he going with this?" And and you'd sort of for a while you'd be going. Oh, he's gone off reservation. Where is he going with this? He's, he's gone. You know, this is the language barrier. He's gone to this tangent. And at the end genius, he'd bring it back around and make you all laugh and connect the dots. And he just, he just went, that's why you're the guy, right? He was, he was so good at that. But anyway, one of his, one of his presentations, I saw once in Japan and it was a, uh, yeah, this revolver. And I think it was each chamber of the revolver was a string that you would tune, right? So it'd be like guitar in there, out here to the amp and each part of the, the chamber of the six, six bullet chamber yeah. was a note. <laughs> and he went through this whole thing and it was kind of, kind of amusing. And again, a long presentation, but at the end it was basically, this was a failure. <laughs> he said, he said <laughs> absolute failure. And he looked back up and again, it's very difficult to look at your failures, but his whole lesson was about this, this product. But the point is there's so many of those products that they tried that, um, you know, that just came and went. And to think that there's, I mean, Roland's a big, reasonably big company now, Roland and Boss. But um back then it wasn't, and things were just being tried. So people overlay stories on these things, but half the time these guys were just trying stuff, you know. They'd take a couple to Nam show, the stand at the Nam show, take a couple there, worked it worked, you know, fax back an order to Japan, make some more, you know, like, or yeah. don't, its it's over. So those early days are are interesting in that um you know no I was, no one ever writes the book how I'm going to make a million dollars they always write the book i this is how I made a million dollars so you don't write history forward right so the a lot of times when they were doing this stuff they had no idea it was going to be what it became they just it's a it's an evolution, and that was pretty obvious when um I'm gonna lose this now, but there's uh Maleko who made um, some of the, the analog synth stuff, the modular synth stuff that we did again a few years back and his story, it's on YouTube and he goes to, it goes, I really like to make the original system system 100. I think it was a system 700 system, 100. And he went to the, the Japanese engineers and he said, could I make this again? Thinking it wasn't going to happen. And they went, yeah. well, yeah, okay, maybe we'll, maybe we'll try it. But what happened was that you know, to, in order to get the plans of the original, he's obviously just thinking we're on to big company. They'll have all this documented. And the fact is all the guys that made that stuff had since retired, gone, died. I don't know. Like they they weren't there anymore. And they had to call people who'd since retired to go this, we tried to make this and it doesn't work. You know, it's, oh, no, it's revision four that worked. It wasn't that one, you know. So these things back then, they were, you know, they they weren't the the massive company they were. They were just a bunch of guys trying to make stuff, right? Yeah, right. Find a place in the world and find a place in the market. I mean, they obviously did a hundred things right because here we are, and and it's and there's some fantastic stories in amongst that. I mean, I'm I'm telling a couple of them badly, but there's some, some great stories in amongst that.
0: And do you know Sorry. what the um what the first successful products for them? Like, do you know what the first successful products for for them were? Were they the traffic lights that you just showed us before?
1: That was sort of well. That was the start of the the, um, the that that form factor of pedal. Right, that became what it became. So yes, they were successful, or they wouldn't have continued on like the old ones. They were just trying different sizes and stuff, like with the original C E one with the 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 chorus. It's a massive pedal, it's a big grey metal thing, you know. And that was the chorus that was from the, the jazz chorus amplifiers, right? So that was that in a pedal, but it wasn't really, it's a massive pedal and it's yep. plugs into mains and it's huge. So it's in no way a compact pedal. Um, but then yeah, as that form factor became the way to move forward, then that was, that's everything got squeezed into that box. And it was, I've actually met, um, one of the engineers once at Nam, and we'd, you know, sometimes have dinner after Nam, and we'd sit there and talk about stuff and, and, and nerd out about things. And his particular job, uh, I can't remember his name right now, which is terrible of me, but his particular job was no matter what the pedal was, it had to fit back into this shape box right? So they developed technology outside of what they were going to do. Say, so I think the example we were talking about at the time was the first, uh, maybe RC three or one of one of the single compact loop station sizes. Cause the original loop station was a twin pedal, the RC 20. Um, but his job was to fit it all in. So they make the pedal, here's what it'll look like right now you get to fit it into the box and the layers and he described how he did the layers of the circuitry or like tried to fit it in in various ways. And eventually it gets squeezed in the box. So certainly that form factor has been extraordinarily successful. Uh You know, so that, and, and yeah, that, and it's, you know, we've certainly gone through the times of being cool and then not as cool and then cool again. I think we're definitely on, on this one again right now. Um, you know, it's,
0: it's been an interesting, interesting thing to watch. What do you know? What um, Boss's biggest selling pedal has been over the years? Mm.
1: Well, I should know. Uh, let me think what that would be. It's probably just the DS1. Uh, it's usually usually DS1. So I have to see how many have sold right now. To test me, there be some. There might be some people watching that know the answer to that. I don't know the, the answer to that right now. I think it's the DS1.
0: Yeah,
1: but. Yeah, you know, the, the big hitters on the pedal are well, uh, ds1 uh t3 or t2 or tu that's always been a tuner um you know compressors uh, so the cs range ods of course there's an od here you know various yep. incarnations of od um and then you probably get to more um choruses phases flanges right so chorus is a huge one i ran into someone the other day who said they didn't like chorus and their only reason I oh know this is a travesty to you and I understand this. And his only reason was that it was too 80s sounding. So the exact reason why we would like it was the reason he didn't like it. And do you know yeah. what I found is that people who were born about, I reckon anywhere five years younger than us who had grunge as their major thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead of the bloody headed guitars, guitars that we had, they, they, the chorus is like relegated to this eighties sound yet they do like Phases and flanges because that was still cool. Yeah, right. So there's, like a, there's like a modulation snobbery, which I'm not okay with. Uh-huh. Oh,
0: man. Man, I, I love that. Love the 80s chorus. I've got a an 80A MP1 yeah. just behind me there in a rack. Oh, a yes. Backwards. Nice. Man, uh-huh. the thickness of that um, is just amazing. Yeah. Um, you just can't beat. CD,
1: no, sorry, go.
0: You, you can't beat an analog chorus. Now, I've got various digital devices which is trying to cram everything into one box and they're yeah. really convenient to have if you're doing a gig and you need a sound and you need a phaser or a flanger and you don't have one on your board to have it yeah but when you ab them to a real analog pedal especially those modulation effects it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. missing this richness yeah. have you experienced the same thing
1: yeah, look, it's yeah, it's all different flavors, right? And it's um, I like analog choruses for certain things, but I do like a big lush digital chorus as well. It just depends. But there, there's different, like there's so many different flavors in that, right? Because there's the the digital chorus that's ridiculously digital pitch shifting, right? Like like the Eventide style thing, right? That is so obviously digital, but there's such a cool thing to that. Right? That's way on that spectrum. And then there's the analog thing like the, or the CE2W, which is the Wassercraft one now that, that does, uh, you know, that's, that's analog and that simulates the CE1, CE2. And it's, and it's just that perfect, you know, CE1 type analog chorus that, you know, um, Echo Beach type, like all that, all those sort of things, you know, and, yep. and police and stuff. So that's on that end. But in between, you've got all these things that are kind of a bit of both. And there's some really great stuff in there as well. You know, so that, that's, it's, it's so hard with an effect like that to, to pigeonhole it because yeah, you can get, I mean, you know, often the, the more things in one box type stuff, the multi effects, you do uh, compromise on a level of purity, right? Again, that's the, you know, that's, that's something that you'll, you know, you you can really notice, especially at a high volume or or through studio monitors, right? That's where you're really going to notice that. But most, like you said, for convenience for live, you know, multi effects that can just go click, bang, that your signal change completely changes um, is a great thing to have. Now, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, go.
0: Uh, oh, sorry, mate, I'm cutting you off there. Did you have more to say on um? On I'll, those, I'll always have more to say. Please yeah, I have cut more me to say. Off so you can
2: keep talking. <laughs> no, I know, talk.
0: talk. Uh, I was going to bring up that you mentioned uh, the Roland JC 120 amplifier mm. and how that the the um did you say ce1 was the chorus taken mm. out of that yep yeah. um yeah man that's it's still a beautiful. popular amplifier isn't it like do, do you guys still it is make
1: and sell that it's still the same yeah 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 there's there's three different models now i mean there have been a plethora of models over the years i'm sure you've seen them you know the old heads and all sorts of stuff there's it, i remember it being in retail and zany versions of the jc would come through at different times that you'd never seen and gone they made that real like that's got, that's a JC. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird and wonderful incarnations of the JC over the years. But, um, but the JC as it is now, has pretty much been the same thing since it started. Uh, and there's not too many things that are like that, right? Especially it's a, it's a solid state amp. Hmm. How many solid state guitar amps have been a classic thing and still in demand constantly for decades and are the same product made the same way. Um, you know, same components and all that stuff, so yeah, the, the JC 120 is still around, and now the JC 40 is a smaller version of that. JC 40 is kind of cool because you've got um, what's you know manageable, the JC 120 is mammoth, and it's got the stereo ins at the front, which you can go in through the preamp, or it's got stereo returns at the back, so you could use it if you're running a multi effects or some sort of stereo effects, you can just use it as a parent, small, yep. you know, like on stage. On stage stereo up like that, um, but the, you know, and with the JC40, that's got a usable distortion. It's arguable that the JC JC120's distortion is usable. The fact <laughs> that I've never effect. heard it, I've
0: never actually heard anybody turn on the distortion on that. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a thing. It's a, actually it's it's one of those things. It's like you know, it, it's like well, it's just there, and it's 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 what it is. And then after after a while, someone uses, it or it becomes a sought after thing. It's one of those. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of those. That's how we, ha- we end up with a record scratch effect and things. You know, the thing we tried to get rid of for years, and it becomes a plug-in that people want to use. You know? Yeah, didn't we? Yeah, you know, so it's it, it, yeah the distortion, but the distortion of the JC40 and the and the small JC22. That's the smaller one. Um, is is plenty usable? Yeah, so that that's that's something that's certainly been improved.
0: Now there's um, a friend of mine when I put on the um, on my user group uh, that. I was having you on. He said to ask you hmm. about a particular Roland amp, and I thought that autocorrected got – what was it?
1: No, I know what he meant. The Bolt 60, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I it thought was. I thought maybe yeah. uh,
0: autocorrected changed the Cube 60 or something to <laughs> no. the Bolt. What the hell is a Bolt? <laughs>
1: no. Oh, mate, that, that is well before my time. But the Bolt 60 – actually, you bring it up. Bring it up. Bolt 60. Um, bolt
0: 60, okay. Oh,
1: Roland Bolt 60. God. Let me – Let me just check if that's right. Yeah, Bolt 60, that's it.
0: That's the one. Uh hang on one sec. I gotta remember I gotta hit that button first. Here we go. Now I Man, can And you're, really, you're this. like
1: early 80s for that. I don't yeah, that's is not in my head.
0: And what was it? Bolt
1: sixty? Bolt sixty. God, there's so many so many interesting and little things.
0: Roland, Bolt Sixty, the gear page. I'm just gonna look at images.
2: I got
1: a feeling that I actually almost bought one of those when I was, you know, sort of 13 or something which they would have been current at the time and something happened i think a store had sold it i had it on lay by and they sold it or something on me as a kid okay
0: what a horrible thing yeah just looking (laughs) at
1: that
0: it's got a whole bunch of switches and things let me just bring up that bit bigger Uh, (laughs) it's gone to a reverb page (laughs) can i get that any bigger oh
1: man there's 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 a whole bunch
0: of Inputs and outputs on the front. Okay, so I can see there's a send and return, yeah. overdrive, reverb, headphone. So there must be foot switchable on offs, high gain, low gain inputs. Okay, Bolt 60. I've never there heard of that. Bolt. With the
1: original cubes and stuff too, you know, with the, during the um, during the, uh, sort of 2000s, you know, the, the cubes were re released. I mean, rolling cubes were a big thing in the 80s, you know, they were. And they were cube shaped and they were bass cube keyboard cube guitar cube there were a bunch of different yep. cubes and they're different colors yep. they've got a whole sort of cult following around them now but in the 2000s we released um rolling cubes as a guitar amp and they were cube-ish but they weren't quite the same size but what was amazing is not being around in that original time of cubes and being around when we released those cubes was the brand equity that pe- the the brand equity that that name had, Rolling Cube, people came out of the woodwork telling their stories about Rolling Cubes. It was amazing. Really? really? this is, and and it pushed that forward. I mean, you know, Katana's now rule the world, which we can get into a moment, but 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 certainly cubes uh, for us were, were a rip, rip-roaring success for years, bass cubes, guitar cubes, um, and they were a massive thing. But they were kind of not really, other than being an amplifier, they weren't really a lot like them ones from 20 years earlier but wow that name is really strong the roland yeah. cube thing so the bolt not so much we didn't release another bolt but certainly certainly cubes are um, massive
0: well i gotta say my first experience of playing through amplifiers was playing through the school's Roland keyboard cube 60 the silver one. Oh yeah there you go and they yeah. had a base cube 60 as well and i didn't know any different uh, in fact, the only other mm. amp that I'd played through, they also had a Fender Rhodes, which had a, an input on there, and I could play through that and get a bit of wow. uh, yeah, tremolo yeah. happening. Um yep. And nice. yeah, it was a while before I actually got my own amplifier. Uh, so I was playing through the school's Roland uh, Cube sixty keyboard amp. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it was a cool sound. Know, a whole...
1: Yeah. Well, they, they 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 have quite a quite a following, I think, especially the base cube and the the base cube, especially, I think was, was something that people still use. It's, there's a real thing around that, but you know, people, people tend to, um, it's funny to watch from the sort of, I guess, from the inside out a little bit, um, as you sort of get behind the curtain a little bit with someone like working with someone like Roland, um, that you see that from a different point of view, it's really interesting to watch now because people will buy, uh, something and, well, there's not a software interface for it. Maybe there wasn't back, you know, 20 years ago and they'll spend their life writing an interface for that thing. And they'll invest so much time in it and they end up dedicating a good portion of their life to this, this one thing. And we may move on that may be discontinued and, and the world moves on. And yep. this person becomes, uh, or these, this group becomes, uh, you know, like a, a sought after Oracle about this, this instrument, and eventually they know more about it than, than we do. It's, it's fascinating to watch how those, those things drop into culture and people grab them and make something of them. Again, it's, it's like the, you know, they make something that's beyond what it's original, you know, it's original thing was for. And sometimes it's not always like that, that, a, that, a, um, that a piece of gear lands that is obvious who the person is that's going to be the customer for that. It's going to be the person that grabs hold of it. And sometimes there are great surprises. You know, we might have an idea of what that person looks like, and then it's not. You know, it might just be someone else. Some other group gravitates towards this for a reason that it might not have been made for at all. There's some fascinating things like that that happen. So it's kind of funny to watch that because you, you know, sure the engineers have you know that have no end of, of fun with that because they put this thing out and into the world and you know it, it has a life of its own. It's it's, it's really interesting to watch
0: cool you know i was just thinking um when i said i was playing through the the roland keyboard amp i had my first pedal was the boss hm2 heavy metal pedal and that's what i used to play through that amp and that was you know i had my clean sound just the amp Mm -hmm. uh, and then was using the hm2 and i just saw that somebody dropped in the comments there the comment of metal zone so um How? What is with the whole Metal Zone thing at the moment? Everyone wants to talk Metal Zone pedals.
2: Mm. Again,
0: that's something you guys left behind a while back, huh? And it's just come out of the the woodwork. No, I mean, no, Metal
1: Zone has always been a really good selling pedal. Like it's one of the top selling. Like you wouldn't have a guitar store and not have a Metal Zone. You know, it's like having a guitar store and not having DS One, or you know. Tube screamer, or you know, any, anyone stuff that's like the staple diet of musicians. Yep. Metal Zone has been and continues to be that. And then the MT2Ws that did the Wazercraft version. Uh, so that the whole craft thing, I and heavy metal pedal, right? That's coming. So it, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, the Wazercraft thing too. So we talked about that the other day. I was so just I mean, about to say, metal, can you
0: yeah. tell us what mm. is the Wazercraft thing all about? Mm.
1: Mm. So, wasa is uh, is a Japanese term for art craft that the the best of what they can make. Sort of that's that's how it ends up being translated to a product. So, you know, they're, they're made in Japan, like the original Boss pedals, and they're uh, improved everything, improved buffers, uh, improved components. Like they're 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 made with a with a certain type of care, but also. Often, So the distortion pedals, for instance, have like a standard mode and a custom mode. And they'll often be a discrete circuit, like a separate circuit that it switches to, you sort of got like two pedals in one. Um So often, you know, you might get a bit more gain or a bit of a different EQ curve, you know, just a slightly different pedal setting. So they've taken often, um, you know, it might be guys used to take those to get modded by different people, you know, like they'd end up with switches and different things on them anyway, trying those sort of things. So for the, for the boss guys, it was like, well, this is is what we do. This is, this are our pedals, right? So, so the, the was a crafting is, and there's about, there's a, quite a few pedals in, in that, in that range now. And my favorite being the DC2W, we need to talk about the DC2W, the world's best chorus pedal, but that's, that's chorus again, but they're just, they're just, uh, um, sort of superior, I guess in the, in the way that, um, when the boutique pedal thing was coming out, right? Boutique pedals became a term for anybody. They could have, they could make three a year in their garage and spray paint them, but they were boutique, right? That was just became, that became silly there for a while, right? Like it was just, the boutique was just slapped on anything that they wanted to be cool about. And Roland boss sort of stood firm during that time went, actually, no, we, we, this is what we do. You know, we, we do really great sounding pedals. Yep. They look like this. They sound yep. like this and they do the job, man. And they have, they test them to be stomped on. They don't, you know, generally speaking, they don't break down be very careful. Yep. Comments again but um for the most part they're extraordinarily reliable and that's the way they're made so when this whole boutique madness was was taking over the world it was interesting to to observe how it was treated and and how and how boss saw that eventually i guess you could say the answer to that was um was not only wascraft but but um other uh other dimensions of pedals. So, we've got the 500 series we've got the 200 series, right? They're different shapes. They're not a classic boss pedal shape. It sure. started with the twin pedal series, right? That, that was the first thing twin pedals. Um, and that was, uh, I can't remember what the first twin pedal was. I'd have to think back scanning the archives, but twin pedals became a form factor of their own. So there was the overdrive. There was, um, uh, the RC 20. So most famous twin pedal would be the rc20 the start of the loop station revolution you know roland started that and um again not knowing just how big it would become you know loop station became a term like hoover for vacuum cleaners like you know like so it it just became you know everyone releases a loop station no matter what brand it is because now it's just such a huge term and and a huge thing that's that's sort of taking things over so that yeah so that form factor became a standard form factor that 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 twin pedal form factor and there was even gk pedals that that would take the gk input which is the guitar synth pickup right so the gk pickup um and it would take that so there was a plethora of of twin pedals over the years but that has now morphed into yeah uh, the 200 series and the 500 series so i guess that's boss's answer to the the boutique revolution as such you know and how that was going because it's pretty obvious that that um quality was fairly mixed as far as boutique, what was considered boutique and bosses never had that. they always, it's always been, this is all good quality, like the sound of it or not. That's fine. That's up to everybody's individual taste, but it will be exactly as it's meant to be and it will be reliable and it will sound the right way. Cool. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a interesting thing, but that loop station thing I was doing, uh, product demos. So I, when i started at roland do you mind me doing this i don't know do you have other questions i'm just going off just you just keep
0: talking man. you just keep talking
1: sorry right god stream of consciousness i did write in my facebook post i didn't know if you were getting you what you're getting yourself <laughs> <laughs> talking. man oh, we just had a chit
0: chat away um, i'm just oh, going to take god. i'm just going to take the moment to say if anybody wants to leave some questions for you uh, they have got a couple there yeah. But um, I'm aware they're there. I'll come back to them later. I like to just have a chat right. first and not be distracted by going through those. So, um, Super sure. Troll NATO, I see you. Just... Michael Anderson, I see you. Right. We're going to keep talking. I'll come back to your questions in a bit. Uh, so, please, if you have anything, right. leave them in the in the chat there. Over to you, Josh. The stream of consciousness, the stream of consciousness <laughs> continues.
1: Right. So. Um, uh, Back when I started at Roland, so this is yeah, this is a long time ago in '98, and it, I was starting in sort of internal sales, you know, punching orders, little headset mic on, all that stuff. But I, I, but the nerd in me wanted to get more into product, and so I was probably never going to um, last there for long. And um, a good mate of mine, Axel Mark Allen, who used to be in um, uh, product there, he was in tech support, and that to me was like a dream role. That sounded awesome. Uh, it's like, man, you have to just talk about gear all day to other people who want to talk about gear all day. Gee, was I wrong? But that's just kind <laughs> of what I did. wow. Uh, but but um, it was cool. So I remember that him coming over to talk to the internal sales guy and go, oh look, if you've got any questions, you know, you need to ask the boys and blah blah blah. And they sort of said, well, you know, Josh has been telling us some stuff. And I went, oh wow, okay, that's cool. Someone else has said that rather than me. Go, excuse me, Mister, can I can I be that guy? And he was going to do some traveling or something. Anyway, I ended up landing that gig, the tech support gig. And I probably did that for maybe a couple of years. Um, and that's, and that was on everything that was on every, everything we did, right? Every role in a boss product that was currently available and legacy products, that phone call would be that and multiple wow. of them a day. So, but you know, like, that, like any job you get used to the same questions coming up a lot, so yep. you could answer those sort of things. So that, that, that was fun. And then one day I just started to I play guitar a little bit around the office or whatever, but I would always ask to try things. I was always like knocking the door and go, Do you mind if I try a guitar demo? And they're like, Really? And I'm like, Yeah, I think I can I think I can do that. Yep. And Roland was a bit smaller then. There's a lot probably a lot more people there now, I guess. But but it was kind of you kind of could just try things. I think you can try things in any company. I think you just go and knock on the door and, and go, Do you think I can do this? Yeah. Um you know, you're not necessarily holding your hand out, you're just going I want to give that a go mm-hmm. so i started doing these uh sort of, along with mark smith who's the, the marketing guy at roland he's um he's we designed these demonstrations and i thought i think i can do this i think i can talk and you know and obviously i can talk i think i can talk and um and do this in front of people and we can i can explain the gear i think i can do that and i think remember the first one we did it was six people came along and it was, uh, Allen's in the city or something, I think. So it must've been, you know, 99 or something, whatever it was. And, um, and I was like, right, so should we do that again? or just scrap the idea (laughs) because nobody came, but what it was back then with guitar clinics and workshops clinics, whatever you want to call them was that, and you would have seen this back then it, it guitar clinics became a bit ridiculous to me. They were either, um, a guy that could play ridiculously well, and he's trying to sell his shredding CD in the lobby on the way out, but couldn't really say anything and certainly yeah. couldn't explain the technology, of the gear that was sitting behind him. Yep. So you had that, the shred, the shredding maturity type clinic. Um, and that was mostly the, I would say the company's fault because the company would often just go, oh, I'll hire a music, you know, a guitar player and give him a product and give him a date and say, see you there and whatever fell out of his mouth or didn't just did, right? That's yeah. what happened. So I saw quite a few of those, and I'm sure you did too. It's like, man, I'd, I'd love to know what you're playing through, but you're just shredding. It doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, it's kind of yeah, irrelevant just when yep. you think. Yep. So, and the other type was the cult of personality, the celebrity, you know, like Tommy Emmanuel re, 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 releasing six new maintenance. It's like, if 400 people turn up to this, I don't think it's for the six new maintenance, you know, yeah. maybe I'm wrong, yep. but it, it like that, and those sort of shows, would work i mean i'm sure they worked for mate many times and and he's you know he's an incredible artist um but that was the other style of clinic so where i thought we could fit in where mark smith thought we could fit in as well was like we don't make it about me because i'm nobody and we can make it about the gear and we can make it about a concept of the gear so we used to do things like um join the guitar revolution or it's all about tone or these concepts of of what you can come along to see so I'd do guitar synth. I used to have a little formula of what i do i do like a multi-effects a uh, guitar synth then maybe another multi-effects then a loop station and then end on some playing thing they go for about an hour or so and and most of it was talking and some playing and a camera over your shoulder and screen up behind you and you know and, and talking through stuff headset mic on and, and talking through the products but trying to do it like you should see a good demonstration in store which is a bit of playing you know a bit of talking about what you're about to hear and the application of it, a bit more playing and that sort of thing and try and and try and make them um, more interesting to watch and more about the person that was coming along to see it rather than the person standing up there. you know that's then that's the the customer yeah. customer focused sort of attitude. So that grew and over a couple of years uh, we got very good at that um, and I say we because he would market it and I would stand up and be the dance do my dancing monkey routine and and together that became that became a thing and we and we regularly get 120 people along to to these um, clinics. And over, the, over that time, I got better at, at, at speaking in front of a crowd. And, and over, you know, and now I sort of I, I try and impart that to people. It's 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 a bit of a bygone era, that particular skill. Yep. But that uh, skill of being able to speak in, you know, it's like content for YouTube or speaking to a camera, speaking to a person, speaking to a crowd. It's all building rapport with something that's in front of you. Right. It's, yep. it's all of that process. And so, so yeah. Over the time, we got really good at that, and then I uh, started doing some other things, and we got other guitar guys in, and we've had a few other guitar people since. So, um, and then maybe around, and I used to sorry, I used to do these uh, medleys, which which is pretty much what's up on YouTube of me is medleys, so doing things. So I found that medleys, um, you know, playing through fifteen different songs in five minutes, sort of thing, and stepping through the sounds was what I wanted to hear. I don't know about you, but you would've been the same. I'm sure you wanted to have, if someone could have sold you a thing that had a button that said Eddie Van Halen, and you can press it. And in your head, that was you, you would have bought that every day of the week, right? Absolutely. That would have been on your list, right? Yep, yep. So that was my logic for that. It was like, and if I can give them just a little bit of that, I mean, you're not going to be able to play like Eddie. You're not going to be able to play like Brian May. You're not going to play like Dave Gilmore. But if the tone's there, and in your headphones, you can play a bit of that lick and you can hear yourself and you've gone, I'm a rockstar. That's, that's enough. For almost everybody, right? Like that's a big deal. And if we could have had that instead of whatever scratchy little box we had running, <laughs> running through, it, and we still thought we were rock stars, right? So for me, I found that was, um, pushing emotional hot buttons, right? Because it would have done, it still does it for me. That's why I still like that process. And I would program them in sort of chronological order so oldest to most current we run out of guitar heroes as you get most current have you noticed that it's really difficult yeah but, funny um, about that you're Right. Hmm. so i'd start with something like you know like the shadows to hendrix zeppelin blah blah where else would i go yeah dave gilmore would be in there eddie would be in there sometimes if i could play, pick a solo i could play properly still questionable but you know like lots of different th- those big hitters and end with something like i don't know Back in the two thousands, probably Limp Bizkit and the last ones. I don't know what I did. What did I do? Lincoln Park or something, I think. But um, but yeah, just trying trying to get those. And the more accurate I could get the backing tracks, the more it sounded more like the tone. If you surround it with the right ecosystem, it sound more like the tone. So yep. those. So around maybe two thousand ten, I did that GT one hundred one, which is the the oldest one that I have on on YouTube. I think it's around two thousand twelve, maybe something like that and that's on that's on youtube and that was filmed at a dealer meeting we had a bunch of bunch of retailers came in to see us play you know release new gear and, and talk about the the new, new stuff that we had coming out and that went kind of boom so i don't know what that's up to now three or five hundred thousand views something whatever that that just got some attention which is yep was a bit surprising actually it was it was, it was interesting because because we'd long since i'd long since stopped doing clinics and workshops it's you know it's kind of a Thing think the passed because people started to not turn up in droves when yeah, the internet, right. when they could get what they wanted. Right. That's yep. so, that sort of morphed. Yep. And um, yeah. So, and then I think maybe a year later or two years later, I ended up at NAM doing the release for ME80 at the invitation from the Roland US guys, which boss US, which was really nice. So went over and got to work. I've been to a bunch of NAM shows, but got to work at the NAM show, you know, see it from the other side, which was great. It was great fun but it was doing the same five minute demo hundreds of times, <laughs> just yeah. over and over and over. But, um, but you know, you get on the front page of the guitar world website and then you like, you're seeing yourself on all these things, which is for me, the equivalent of seeing myself on the front of a magazine. Cool,
0: it's cool. It was cool. Pretty,
1: pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that was fun. And then, um, yeah. And then I just did a few more of those sort of things. The last one I did was GT one. I don't know when that, what name show that was maybe three years ago or something. So those, those things I became, a little bit known for if I'm known for anything and I'd start writing the blog articles about tone design about how to how to get those tones and I did some some sort of three minute videos for guitar gods and masterpieces you know the, yep. the tv show that, that was yep. out for a while. um Dave Loder who does a great job by the way Dave shout out to Dave what a what a hard-working human being and I did these three minute tone segments which were just like what can you do in three minutes but I was just, I'd just try and turn a bunch of effects off and turn them on and go, this is what I use, this is what I use, this is what I use, what I use and try and do that. And even then, you know, YouTube has a lovely way of abusing you in the comments for, <laughs> for trying yeah. to mislead people, but it's, it's, that's hard. Yeah, but so, that's, so that's the thing I like to do now. Mm.
0: So what's been your favourite bit of gear to demo of Boss or Roland?
2: Ooh,
0: is there something that question. instantly brings up a wow factor that you, know, you can... Mm press a couple of buttons and people just go, whoa.
1: That's always been guitar synths. Always. Guitar synth technology because it's it's uh, an oft misunderstood technology. Uh, so, and if you ever played one that's set up not the right way, you know, you play a note and you wait for a minute for the note to come out the other end and you go, well, that's rubbish. And yeah. the fact is that's just a setup issue and some tweaking that needs to go on because they're not like that. So, we would we would often sell the most amount of guitar since where we did a guitar clinic it would follow because you demonstrate it properly so this is how it works and this is how you'll have to play um and that technology has come a long way oh v guitar right so v guitar 95 that technology
0: i was going to bring up v guitar Um, that pretty much what Lion Six started touting as their virtual guitar stuff many years later. You guys were really <laughs> doing that. Many
1: years later. Yeah. yeah many um, years later. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I do remember nice. working
0: for, for Gary Barr um, and mm-hmm. um, having that technology come through the shop and just going, whoa, yeah. check, check this out. You can alternate tunings yeah. and all, all, the,
2: yeah.
0: all that kind of stuff.
1: Um, so the same pickup works with both, right? So you got like that, the, the hex pickup, which is like, I mean, that, that, that GK pickup in its various forms over the last, I don't know how many years. It's been out 25 years, whatever it is longer, longer, um, that pickup, um, is basically six individual humbucker pickups, mini humbuckers. Okay. So they, sit, they sit, you know, and that sits between the bridge pickup and the, the bridge mm-hmm. and it sits under there and it basically Churches, turns each string into its own monophonic instrument. Now that's, that's basically what it does, but it just picks it up. So it picks it up like a normal pickup and feeds it down the 13 pin cable. There's no processing as such done in that pickup. Often people call it a MIDI pickup and you know, it's actually not the MIDI happens at the other end in the sure. module, right? It's just, yep. it just picks up the six strings, feeds it individually to the module and whatever the module does with it, like V guitar, same pickup. So, and they are completely different technologies, right? So, so anything, it used to be GRs were guitar synths and VGs were virtual guitar. Yep. And now there's there's mixtures of that. But the interchangeable but now, back yeah? Back then, yeah, but not really. But but the GR55, um, which is still a current product, a few years old now, that that mashed them both together. So you used to have to buy a guitar synth and a VG guitar virtual guitar system. So GRs would be uh, MIDI conversion, right? So play a note, converts it to a MIDI note, you know, gives it gives it a, uh, a gate time, a velocity, you know, and, and a pitch. And, um, and th- so that's all the GRs would do. So not all they would do. That's what they would do. But the biggest problem I found with guitar synths, was guys would play it like a guitar. Like, well, that's what doesn't sound right. You can't, you don't go on a piano and go, you know, like play it like a guitar. You can't do that. You can't slap it like you're playing it with ham fisted. You know, it doesn't work yeah. like that. And guitarists are notoriously sloppy false harmonics, muting, lots of stuff like that. Isn't a note popping out of the damn thing. Right. So yep. the GR, poor little GR would try and convert that all into notes. If people played it like that and people would come back going, this thing doesn't work. It's so, like, it's working perfectly. You're not playing, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. got to
1: play, play like a piano, you know, do, do that. Cause you do that. You don't like, that's a glissando strumming. Yep, Play like a piano player plays. So, you know, horses for courses, you got to play the instrument to how it works so that was that was that was interesting and set up the damn up properly if you don't set up that up properly and set up the the levels um for each each you know each of the the strings you're going to have a lumpy experience you've got to spend that time like playing guitar no one picks up guitar for a wall and goes that's awesome if you do it's a happy accident most of the time right like you go i need this set up for it to be a well-oiled machine and work exactly how i need it to work and that guitar synth stuff was no different but then yeah the virtual guitar stuff that's i think it's 95 virtual guitar testing stretching the gray matter i think it's 95. that came and that and that used the same technology but instead of converting it to anything as such it would uh, manipulate the waveform of the string right so it would just so that's why people used to talk oh there's latency it's like well there's it's not really a, it's not it's not converting to anything other than there's some pitch shifting and different things going on but there's no conversion as such you know it, it, it just manipulates it on the way through um that's why you can play muted you know notes slap the strings, play harmonics, do any of that stuff with, with virtual guitar, because it's okay. completely using the same, using the same pickup, but a completely different technology to MIDI conversion. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that, that's, that's how it can do, but you could do, it still can do some really cute things, you know, with detuning guitar and everything. And while maintaining your guitar at, um, at, at concert pitch, cause you buy that set of strings, cause it feels a certain way under your fingers. The truss rod likes it at that tension, all those things, right? That's how it should feel when you play it. Then you can press a button you got open g if you had to do that in real life you go grow, grow, grow. that one's flapping around the breeze that one's about to snap that one the truss rod's having a hard time don't don't leave it like that for too long whereas this is all overcome with one button in V G V guitar uh yeah that,
0: that is, is an interesting thing. technology yeah. and i yeah. did have the line six um variax <clears throat> for yeah. a little bit yeah now one thing that I wasn't anticipating was when I'm playing loud with the boys, I always wear earplugs. You actually hear through your bones quite well. Like yeah. I always laugh that when I'm playing, <laughs> yes. I could be playing the know, loudest yeah. fucking gig ever cranked out, yeah. 100 watt Marshall. And I changed my yeah. pickup selector and, and I can hear that click clear as a bell Donk. through yeah, yeah, yeah. through yeah. the bone con- conductivity. So what I yep. found with the, um, the line six I was playing in a, in a grunge tribute band at the time and they had to do all these different tunings and stuff. I went, Hugh Beauty, i just have him this yes. guitar. And then I'd go to yep. drop D. I'd be playing the song and I'd look at everyone going, I'm so sorry that I'm playing the wrong notes there. And they're going, yeah. what do you mean? It sounded fine. No, I could feel wrong. the dissonance because normally yeah. I'm playing drop D, but I'm not tuned to drop D. And I was feeling that that dissonance in the fingers going, woo, 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 woo. it's like, I'm
1: playing. It's like the- a dub movie, right? It's like a badly dubbed movie. You're looking at it, but it doesn't sound like that. What, well, it doesn't sound yeah, like it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be the same feeling. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. And um, it's that convenience, security thing again, right? It's yeah, like you, yeah. You know, you, you want that convenience. And I, the guitar player, I won't use his name because I'm not sure if he would be okay with using name, his name, but he was touring with um, uh, Joni Mitchell. Uh, this is, I don't know how long ago. Things start to blur and I start saying it was 15 years ago. It might not have been. It might have been, no, probably about, it might have been 10. I don't know. Anyway, so he's touring with Joni Mitchell and his dilemma was um that Joni Mitchell uses a plethora of tunings, right? Almost a different open tuning for a different song almost, right? So he had a couple of choices. He could he could have a guitar tech, five acoustic guitars, and a guitar tech constantly retuning them, hoping to God that when he handed it to him it was right tuning <laughs> yeah. for that next song. Yeah. And this just would happen all night. And he went, I'm just visualizing how that will happen and it won't. It will just be a train wreck. Yeah. So and I think a a guy in a guitar store, I think it was Jeffrey Jardine, shout out to Jeff Jardine. I think he had spoken to him and said, have you considered this, Um, using a GK pickup on your acoustic guitar, because it'll work on any steel string, acoustic or electric. Yep. Put a GK on your acoustic guitar and then uh, bring up an acoustic sound, tune the acoustic sound in the V guitar so you're not actually using the guitar and just program different tunings for each song. And he's like, oh will that work and he called me and i came into the store and we sat down he had a big scrapbook full of the songs and the tunings yep and he just said he said what do we do i said give me the name of the song and i'll make that the patch name and give me the tuning and i'll adjust the tuning then we'll work on an acoustic guitar or maybe we worked on the acoustic guitar sound first yep. make sure that was lights and we ran some monitors and he goes yep that sounds great or sounds roughly like his acoustic guitar or the same and then we just worked our way through and he had you know 24 patches of the various tunings, and he walked away happy as Larry. So, you know, that's when it matters, right? That's when you couldn't do it with anything else because it's like yeah. the illusion is complete. He's playing an acoustic guitar, but he's got – but he would have a major dissonance for that because an acoustic guitar, right, it's coming straight back. Out. I You'd was going to say, is
0: he using like wow. a solid-body acoustic uh, so that it wasn't producing much loudness in itself? No,
1: no, it was hollow body acoustic. It was, it was his, Really? I can't remember what it was now, actually. I don't even know what what brand it was, but I thought – I said to him at the time, I said, man, you're going to have to have it loud or either in-ears or loud monitors to get over what you're going to be feeling and hearing from here because it's going to be a little bit weird. It's a 100 times better than your other solution, though. Yeah. <laughs> five guitars and a rotating tuning nightmare. Forget and you'd probably
0: have to have a backup yeah. for each of those tunings too. Here, I'll just tune this and here's a backup yeah. in case you break that's a string.
1: Right. Boing. Yeah, that's right. it's that's all over. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's done. Hmm.
0: Josh when we were talking earlier about um, boutique pedals and the Wasa craft yeah. and everything now a big catchphrase that popped its head up you know a few years back was true bypass and ah yeah so a lot yeah. of boss pedals do not have a true bypass but actually have right. a buffer and I just want to hear your take on the fours and againsts of using the buffer because I hear that the buffer in boss pedals is actually pretty bloody good.
1: It is very bloody good. Uh, There's some variation of of buffers. Like with the the, um, the Waza Craft, there's um, slightly superior buffers. But the buffering and – oh, look. Next time I'll bring a chart. I've got a chart. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere, but there's a chart of – of what goes in and what comes out, and, and the readings of that, right? And true bypass is awesome in its place, right? That's and that's why some of the pedals have that option now. Some of some pedals that the Boss do now do have that, but it's it's only when it's it's useful, right? Like it's like anything. There's not true bypass by itself. Doesn't mean it's an abstract term. It's like do you, you know, just have true bypass. No, but what do you need true bypass for? What, what are you running that requires that to be a thing because if you don't you're just asking for signal loss so i think it's just i mean it's horses for courses Uh, pete thorne did a great video on it a while back i mean i i've I've had to have this discussion many many times over the years and with some people who just uh who have it in their head as a thing there's just no point you just got to walk away from the insanity of the argument because it's it's not reasonable it doesn't it doesn't follow so i'm using this therefore it needs true bypass that makes sense. That's cool. You got a, you know, a fuzz pedal that only that doesn't like a buffer in the front. Great. Many of them don't. That's cool. Well, then don't run a pedal before it. It's going to, it's going to sound rubbish. Well, it's not just that doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound rubbish. It just doesn't sound right. And so there are some pedals that aren't happy with a buffer. Most of them on the planet are <laughs> and they'll benefit of it, right? Like, so you're going to have, there's, a, if you got the opportunity, I would say to any guitarist, if you have the opportunity to play through a pedal, where you have a buffer on and off switch or a true bypass on and off switch. Same thing. If you have that option, you should run 25 foot of cable to the pedal and another 25 foot of cable after that pedal to the amp. And you should run that pedal off and turn the bypass on and off and listen to the magnificent difference in the tone and then compare it to a 10 foot cable plugged straight into the amp from the guitar, right? And you'll find the thing, as you would know, the thing that is closest to that 10 foot cable, is the buffer being on and when you turn the buffer off, you'll lose a bunch of top end all that. But truly that um, I've had a few things over the years where I've had that luxury of doing that. Not everyone has that. So I guess I get when you read about these things, how the nerd factor can be higher for true bypass. If you want to read it that way, I, I completely get that. But the fact is if you sit down and you get the chance to experiment with that, it's, it's, it's night and day, right? It's not even like, Ooh, does that, is that kind of different? It's like, it's like a turning a light on and off, right? It's like having a light on dim and then having a light as bright as the sun. It's, kind of, it's not quite that. But its it certainly is not open to interpretation when you try it. It's very obvious. Yeah. So that's where I stand on it. Do it when you need to, don't when you don't. Yep. Because you'll just lose a bunch of stuff that you want.
0: You know, that is one of the dangers with the internet is there's a lot of people talking like they know when they don't. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I see... See people on uh, Facebook groups or forums where yeah. people are asking advice and then the people you might know that's offering them advice, you're thinking, man, you, I know you've never played what they're asking yeah. about. You're just passing on something else that you've heard. You don't know that. Um, mm. And I think that's the, the danger. Of it. It that, that, could have been, that could have been why the whole true bypass thing became such a buzzword for a while. I think people just didn't understand mm. That it's actually your friend. No, and I think that's it's actually <laughs> well, your well, buffer. Friend. They're, they're buff, buffers it. are your friend. Yeah. yeah,
1: are your friend. Yeah, and it's. Um, I think when you're in, uh, when you tend to be an, uh, an amateur at something, and I don't mean that condescendingly in any way. I mean when you when you're beginning your journey, you want to know this stuff, and you become, or if you're like us, you become verbal about it. You want to know, and you want to ask questions, and you want answers, and you want that to make sense, and blah blah blah. And as you get to know you become less noisy about it because you know it doesn't matter and you know this is this will work that way and this will work that way and you don't worry about it so i often think that the loudest voices online tend to be amateurs because they want to know the damn answer and when they've got it or they think they've grabbed hold of it they want to defend it to the hilt yeah and it becomes you know it becomes a piece of information that they they defend that they've never really had to really had to use in real life right like we've all played, we've played loud loud gigs i mean i love playing loud gigs i know you're the same I love it loud and Eddie Van Halen volume is tone, right? No true word ever spoken because everything changes with volume, right? Everything it so, does, you know, valve amp, different components change your, your perception of EQ changes, everything changes, your trouser legs flap in the breeze, everything changes, right? And, and that's the same with effects, with buffering, with all that stuff. I run a stereo rig like you do ridiculously overcomplicated stereo rigs that I love and I'm adding more things to it all the time, which I love. <laughs> and how good is that to still have that in your head, though? I, I love that, that we have that. I think that's a gift. Um, but I ran um, the, uh, and the stereo rig and I ran the uh, eventide uh, pitch factor, right? So trying to get the micro pitch, you know, yep. the H3000 eventide micro pitch patch. And I love eventide stuff, great stuff. So I plugged the Pitch Factor through, and so preamp straight into that, out of that, into the stereo power amp, into the two quad boxes, right? So smashing. My American friends laugh at the term quad boxes.
0: Yes, yes. Four by
1: 12, right? Yeah, it's yep, not yep. a thing.
0: Right? I found this out recently yeah. when I went to Germany, yes. uh, that um, Australians yeah. are the only ones that say quad boxes, so I try and avoid that on my it's YouTube four. channel. It's a
1: yes, four it's, by 12. Sound um, makes them laugh. Yeah. Yep. So two quad boxes. So two quad boxes and and I played it and I went, that's great, that's the sound. That sounds fantastic. Yep, bit of micro pitch shifting. Great. Okay. But you know, but like any micro pitch shifting sucks the mid-range a bit, changes the tone a bit. I'm like, ah, oh, it's just that, you know, a bit of comb filtering or you know, whatever it is, the modulation that does that. All right, right. And I have my DC2W back to the DC two. W. So was a craft dimension. Right. So beautiful pedal, dimension C. So if you've ever seen you know the original dimension. Uh, or is it you get this exactly right because it's important uh, right there we go okay let me bring up a picture so i can get this exactly right
2: there it is
1: nice one so in the dc2w right so you got stereo and stereo out. yep yep and you've got on that particular was pedal the standard mode on the left and the but the 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 other mode that it's got is the std 320 now cd 220 was the big rack mount version of this right still only four buttons down here but this enormous <laughs> rack two rack two rack space or three rack space i think it's two anyway massive thing right that was the, the studio box that then became the, the dc2w um and it's got both options. Now the the rack, to my ears, the rack version is a slightly more subtle effect than the pedal version. And when you go to the standard mode, but it's only got four buttons, right? One, two, three, four at the top. That's it. You can yep. plug in. You can press two down at a time if you want to get combinations. Cool. That's it. Right? Yep. That's that's all you got. And they go from mostly still, slightly modulated to more wobbly and wider, and you know just different. But it's this three-dimensional type chorusing that uses. Phrasing—it's very clever way. Anyway, it sounds amazing, but I just went. I just wanted. I wanted it to be the Eventide because that's the even Eddie Van Halen sound, right? I went yeah. and every everything fiber moved my being. I went. That's the, the old H nine four nine Eventide processor and a bit of wobble in it, and that's oh, that's the Eddie Van Halen sound. Then I took that out of line and I just put the Boss pedal there, still in stereo, setting one, so it wasn't really moving much. And not only did it basically do the same sound, right, because it's just it's a slight modulation, but slight pitch shifting, and it was pretty much still, so it worked. But what was amazing to me was the DC-2W put so much more back into the tone. It didn't suck the tone as much, which I cool. just super surprised. And I'm only telling that story because it's true, because it happened, and I was surprised that it happened because I did expect, because the eventide, that's the classic even tide effect is the micro-pitch yeah. shifting. But i would say that the dc2w did it better and it's and because of the improved buffers that are on the dc2w because they're superior because it was a craft pedal it was much more transparent so the top end was was clearer the mid-range wasn't as guts, whether that's to do with the way that, that that the phasing works on on the dc2w or not but it just it sounded better and I didn't want it to, but it did. It's a great pedal. DC2W. Love it.
0: I actually so wrote down that, when you, when you first mentioned it pedal. and you said it was your favorite pedal. I wrote down to come back Mate, to that and you've just covered it. Got to have one of those. That's. Yeah. I, I remember them, the old ones with the push buttons. I never actually did play <laughs> yeah. one, but. Neither
1: did I back in the day. No, yeah. I didn't either.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought, no, I want some controls to play with, not just push button presets. Right. But. Me too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, Whenever I do Adney chorusing or, or, or the slight pitch shifting thing, trying to get that Ed Van Halen thing, like you say, the, yep. the middle gets sucked out.
1: Yep, yep.
0: I need to try me one of these DC2Ws. Man,
1: and there's all those variations of it, right? There's um, Anyone who's completely not a tweaker at this point has just fallen off watching this, this YouTube <laughs> um, feed because this is getting real tweaky. But the, you know, there's all the theories about uh, how Eddie did that, right? Like the, whether he did... A little bit of pitch shifting up, a little bit down, right, and that's and that was the sound, and that was just stereo. And there's other schools that say, well, there was a dry one in the middle, as well as those outside ones, so wet, dry, wet. So he did. I think he did various things over the years, and he had a dry setting and then a slightly pitch shift setting. So there's a hundred ways to skin that cat, and you can try them all. And you could actually run a dry signal straight up the center as well, and bleed a little bit into each side to have that still being, you know, pure through it as well. So there's um, there's a bunch of ways to push that those elements back in that are sucked out by the, by the modulation.
2: Uh-huh. I think
1: you still put them back in. But you should try DC-2W, man, because it's, ah, it's a glorious thing. It's the king of choruses, even though it's just different to most other choruses, but it's certainly the king of choruses for me. That's just Very cool.
0: And, and, yeah, okay, that's on my, on my wish list of boss pedals to get. Got to try it. Um, now, I took a little note before because you said the term – boss katana and how they rule the world and they totally do when it comes to the smaller totally smaller amp market yeah. these days don't they
1: yeah tell me yeah, about katana is um oh man tell us about Katana's those in a journey man yeah so katana is um yeah you know, it's it's easy to say these things when you're on top of the hill and it, but everybody has their day in the sun you know not everybody but you know people have their day in the Sun at the different times so I'm not saying this is you know this is um katana's all they ever been and all there ever be it's having its day in the sun but it's fair to say that katana's having a day and a half at least maybe a week in the, in the sun because it's um it's just been such a success story and it's and it's well well deserved because it's a great sounding of the lamp um so the katana story it, it's it's interesting because it's it's kind of a modeling app but it's not and we don't use the term modeling in it because and i'll tell you tell you kind of why everyone in that in that arena like line six and 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 vox and everybody else and has good sounding stuff i don't you know i don't think there's really a bad sounding modeling amp anymore you know that's that's kind of those those times have kind of gotten you you really have to look for something that sounds completely atrocious these days right like most things sound pretty good Um, and that's because everyone got their their shit together with software right like everyone got a really good algorithm or got some good programmers they teamed up with or whatever it was. And over a period of time that that just improved and improved. But what didn't seem to change, people led with software, like people would say, we've got the best modeling. It's like, okay, so it's always led with software. Whoever has the best algorithm wins, right? So everything else is just a pretty box and an amplifier and making it get louder. Right? So that, that was sort of interesting and that was the way it was for a long time uh, and then Katana kind of pulled it back a notch and went a bit simpler, right? Not menu driven because people were getting crazy. And I used to say this at the guitar clinics when things had more buttons, I'd go, that's great. This will be easier to use. Mm. The worst thing that used to happen in the late 90s, it started to happen, I reckon, or mid late 90s. Interface became cleaner and cleaner. Look at the interface. It's beautiful on a marketing page dial, two buttons, and a screen. Who couldn't work that? Fact was, when you got into it, it was horrendous to work. Right, a, yeah. a, a guitar tuner would be forty-seven pages down and three mm. of those, and step sideways and dance. And, you know, like it was so hard to work those. So, and just not intuitive. So, with things like the GTS, like GT six and GT, um, GT eight and GT GT10 ten and GT one hundred, more buttons, better. You know, like just one button, one purpose. If I could, if I could do that, the BRs used to be like that. The Boss recorders, it's yep. like one button that just does that. One effects. What's in that? You know, like with one button, one purpose. It's awesome. So the more buttons, the better. Um, and Katana just went back to a bunch of knobs. You know, and like a uh, some lights and some knobs, different coloured lights. But it looked like a guitar amp. Yep. It's like, okay, that doesn't look like a modelling amp, right? Okay. And then the, the 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 algorithm, like the software part of it, the amplifiers and the effects and the EQing, the tone stack, I guess, if you will, of the of the of the tube amp world, that section is digital that's where they make they make all the sounds right yep but the things with katanas and the things that we know matter in a guitar amp are the input stage that gets your guitar in there in the first place and the thing that makes it louder and the speaker that it runs through right these these are the things that we know make a guitar amp sound good and with katana they, i mean there's a trend i go back the other the other side for a minute there's also a trend to use digital power amps in these small amps because it was the most accurate representation of your software coming out the cleanest all right so they might use a full range speaker maybe guitar speaker but sometimes a full range speaker a digital power amp because that would be the most perfect representation so it would just make it louder but again volume changes everything doesn't it that would be perfect if everything stayed the same as you turned it up but it does not does it right and those amps you know a lot of the other the competition you turn them up to a certain level and I'll start to be harsh and like throwing razor blades at your ears, right? It just gets really not very nice. Everything sounds fine at low volumes, but again, volume sorts out the men from the boys, right? So you turn it up and that's where they, they really didn't work. So the Katana, where they took a step back to old school, I guess, as well as the interface just having knobs there, used a, uh, a, a solid state analog power amp, a push-pull, a class AB solid state analog power amp push pull relationship with the speaker like a real valve amp does right so a real valve amp has this bi-directional relationship between the power amp and the speaker that's constantly evolving and pushing back both ways so i think most yeah. people think that a guitar amp works from the front to back i know i always did front guitar goes in at the speaker the sound comes out and it's all one way all the way through and it's not right it's it's a it's a whole everything reactive flowing things of converse yeah it's reactive that's exactly right so so the speaker's excursion and different things about the speaker would feed back to the power amp, make that sound different, and it's got this, this thing going on all the yep. time. Uh, with a digital power amp, not so much, it just doesn't, doesn't work in the same way. So the Class A B power amp would give you that, that push-pull. And as you turn it up, we all know the guitar amp, as you turn it up, uh, has a lot to do with the power amp and the tones that the power amp produces and how that's, you know, sags or reacts to, to its environment and, and the volume and whatever you're pushing through it and whatever it's trying to push it to. So that power amp in the Katana uh, is, is part of the secret sauce. It just sounds like a real guitar amp's power amp. The, the, the amps, all of that section, the effects section sound good, but what makes it louder and makes it change in a good way as it gets louder, those gnarly frequencies that push through a cymbal and a tom and a snare and a vocal and a bass and all of those things at you at the same time, um, and then you push your guitar amp through it, all those gnarly frequencies start to come out and they get pushed forward like a real guitar. So that's that's a major part of it. And also the other part is the, the, um, the input stage, which has a really high headroom in the input stage. So a lot of modelling equipment, uh, even good stuff, um, often doesn't handle gain pedals or anything, anything that's putting out a lot of output in your uh, input stage. It's made for guitar input, high impedance guitar input, and that's it and you try and push anything else through it it starts to squish it and a lot of people you know think that that's sort of happening through the modeling and it can but it certainly can happen at that input stage as well because it's just not built to take anything other than the guitar input right, so yeah. that that's important not everything is i'm not saying everything just for people who want to smash me in the comments <laughs> but but certainly that level where katana is pretty much is everything so uh there you go smash me on that if you like so so the Katana has got a lot of headroom in the input stage, so it can handle a distortion pedal, a gain pedal naturally like a yep. guitar amp does. So input, getting the input right, secret source in the middle, modeling, guitar amp, sounds, then and effects, and then at the end, you've got a true power amp for it to come out and amplify with. That's really the secret source of Katana. There's a lot more to it, of course, that's not a product demo of any sort, but it does explain the technology of why it seems that Katana just keeps on winning the day because you stick that up against the drum kit and that's where it, that's where it it still works. And I had a few guys at the guitar show a couple of years ago, um, one of the Melbourne guitar show that came around. There's like three or four guys that come and we got, we all want to buy a guitar app. What do you got? You know, we're all going to buy one. So we want a deal, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, we've got Katanas. Yeah, we've heard about Katanas. Why do you think they're better? I said, well, okay, I'll just, we went through the whole thing. I went through the whole spiel. I said, but don't buy it yet. So take a risk because these guys are just having a crack. And I said, don't don't buy it. I don't want you to buy it yet. I want you to go around and try all the other brands' modelling units. Yep. But I want you to turn it up. So I want you to give it a good crank. So supply it and get the demo and all that and then turn it up and tell me how it sounds. Does it sound nice to your ears? Does it sound really harsh? How does, how does it sound? And so they come back around. I went, I'll just take a risk. I might have lost all four of them by doing that. But they came back around. They went yeah you're right right and that's what it is it's like turn it up check it out at volume because that's when um that's when you know
0: yeah Absolutely.
1: so so katanas yeah and all the models of katanas are, are, are like that and um you know the katana um artist which is the 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 the, the, the sort of the upper level one that has a uh uh superior speaker in it so it's a speaker from the uh, the was amps that we had which was um uh like a, a, a large form factor head and quad box four by 12 head and four by 12 uh um solid state uh, amp which is sort of the forerunner because the katana is just like blues blues um like the blues cubes are as well i guess you would say but um that that same sort of technology trickled down into katana so that speaker that's in the katana artist is taken from that which is like oh, i saw a presentation in japan where they how they developed that speaker it was amazing basically I think it was a greenback and they scanned the, the 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 cone for all the indentations and everything and made this this higher wattage version of a greenback basically
0: wow so
1: it's um that's what's that's what's in it it's even got a, like a green magnet figure on, one on the back of it so that's so katana artist actually sounds even better when you turn it up because of the the speaker and the, and the configuration of the
0: cool input. now i yeah. i i said mm. um katana and then i sort of referred referred to them as being the smaller practice amp kind of things but they actually mm. You guys make those in quite big models too, right? They come Mm. in bigger sizes? Yeah, there's
1: a head and cab as well, yeah. The head is like this big. It's so cool. And it's got a little five-watt speaker in it for practicing. So you can actually take it out and just take it home as a little practice amp and then take it back, plug it into a cab, and it sounds enormous. I've got three friends who are serious guitar players in Sydney who now gig with them. I just can't bring myself because I'm too too married to all of my (laughs) gear that I'm using right now. But I know... But they sound great, and for you and me, the new ones, the Mark Twos, have all got um, stereo link. All the one hundred watts have got stereo link, so at the back you can go stereo out of the, out, to that for that one, and all the modulation effects and delays are in glorious stereo. Yes, right. love it. That's it. Love it. So they're great sounding. Great sounding app. I Highly recommend you get in and just cranking them because they're just they're just you know various versions of classic British tone, pretty much.
0: Now, I'm just checking out some of the comments here. Um, Stu, Brady oh, oh, know, oh. Stu Brady wants no, to know. Stu Brady wants to know. No, he doesn't get a say. He doesn't What's get he a say? say. Okay, I'll hit that band button right now he's, then. He's the bass
1: player in my band. What's he said? What's he said?
0: Are rack units dead or do you think there will be a revival? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean
1: dead? What do you mean revival? Revival is only necessary if they died in the first place. And Stu, you and I both know they still live.
0: <laughs> i'm just going to grab something speaking he's of baiting. rack units
1: he's baiting me rick he's baiting me
0: That
1: happens. uh yes rack rack units are alive and well in the lives of people such as rick and myself what's he got Sorry, what's i he had got? to i had to Boris? run up
0: up the back uh behind me there's still some i know more. what you.
1: yeah i yep. picked
0: these up recently
1: i think i know what you got which ones are they the q and the can't, i can't quite read it what is it the compressor or something
0: Sampler delay and, oh, yeah. the, and the graphic. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's those two. Great little unit. Yeah. I, I haven't fired them up yet. Are these good?
1: They are good little units. I've got down home, I went down at, at Tassie at, at, at Christmas. Um, sorry, like a couple of months ago, whenever it was. And I found I've still got the power supply unit and the compressor unit for that. And I used to have more of them. They, You know, you had the mini rack. You ever see the what, pictures? What, what, the was the, what was the magazines? last two?
0: What was the last two units you just mentioned
1: uh, i've just got the compressor and the, and the power supply one there's one that's just about oh you
0: can't.
1: <laughs> how good is that i just you picked the them up rack? you had just... the actual mini rack though you've got to get
2: that
0: no no <laughs> um i was at a friend's awesome. place um a couple of weeks ago and um he said come with me see uh just Come on, check, check this out. And he had this big storage container in his backyard, and he yeah. said um, as he was opening it, he said, "Yeah, my father-in-law and I buy these random storage containers, and not knowing what's in them, and uh, sometimes oh, it's that got game. some yeah cool I've heard about that cool stuff in there. Right. Uh, is any of this any good to you?" And he had a whole bunch of music stuff in there. I grabbed a few oh, pedals, God. those those units. Um, this is as a power supply.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I've got that one. I think that's the one. Yeah, I've got that one that in the say? compressor. It's bit. trying
0: to focus on my eyes, but if I cover that. RPW 7 mm. Is that any good? Is that best? Yeah, they're great little units. Yeah, like to run pedals I mean, and things that, off, or are they more suitable? Oh, yeah, for... yeah, no,
1: that'd be fine. It depends what the power, out, I don't know what the power output is on them. I can't remember, actually, off the top of my head. There'll be, there'll be someone that does. <laughs> those, things, those things had a real cult following. You, you really? remember those being out? What, I can't, I'm just trying to remember what years it was. But, um,
0: so now yeah, that you mentioned in, in the rack. Play, you
1: had the mini rack.
0: That, mm. that, that was a, it was a, yeah, so I've just stacked them on top of each other and that yeah. just brought back the memories of that was a half rack.
1: Yeah, there's a mini rack. There was a mini half rack tower that they went in, like their own little mini rack.
0: Yeah, so I haven't <laughs> like fired these up yet. Right? But, sort of but yeah. yeah, I just uh, was thinking, what do I have that's Roland or Boss? Oh, right behind me there. <laughs> there you go, know, yeah, classic. So classic, right? rack units uh, are not dead, yeah. not dead at all. Absolutely not. You know what? Nope. I'm, I'm going to say I I've got, I mentioned my ADA back there. It's all backwards. There's a Quadroverb underneath yeah. that. I'm going nice. to reprogram those and maybe go out and start using those to gig with again. Um, nah, just MIDI nah. MIDI recall and all that. Um, but yeah. there there has been a bit of a resurgence in in rack gear. Um, uh, ADA, yeah. ADAs, JMP1s, uh, yeah. all that kind of thing. Even tied um, H3000s now are oh, ridiculous
1: yeah, money. Yeah, They're like yeah. you know, four, four grand to buy you know, a, a 30-year-old piece of technology. Um, I had one. I had a Hs, uh, H3000 DSX, the one with the squiggly line on it, you know, the, the with the Vi presets, The, yeah. the one of the red squiggly lines on it. But I had one of those um, years ago, but I – I didn't know I was like an amateur. I was like 22 or something when I bought it. I think it was five grand. I was going to have to pay it off. And I didn't realize that, that, you know, most of those guys who run them in their racks either run two of them or run them just for one thing, like just pitch shifting or just reverb because to change patches takes about two seconds. doing doing click. Like, and you hear the click as it changes the algorithm. you like, I remember the first time I did that and I was buying this for a live rack so I was going to switch patches with, oh, I can't, I can't use it. So I ended up selling it or sending it back or something, whatever I did. And I bought a GP 100, a Roland GP 100, which was a rack, uh, gold plated uh, single rack space um, uh, preamp and multi effects. Yep. Um, and I didn't use the preamp section of it, although I did get later on in years and duos and different things that I've played direct. And it was, it sounded really good. I f- that's sort of one of those old things that, the modeling isn't as good in it because the amps aren't quite as true as far as, you know, um, it would have been 16 bit and it just wasn't, you know, it's a bit grainy. But the thickness, like a lot of that old stuff, it's it had this low mid-range thickness that got lost at different times in future technologies. It's kind of, it's back now with things, but for a few years there, it's like things got nicer. I think there's something with keyboard sounds too. Things got nicer and compressed and, and just a nicer, more direct end, end recorded sound but live, they didn't quite. You know, they they lost a bit of the oomph in yeah. it for live. GP one yep. GP one hundred was was a great unit for that, and I ran that along with a you know different heads that I that I'd run. But that was yeah, that, and that unit switched instant, pretty much instantly, and I, I used that, and that was fantastic. But the Eventide, it broke my heart that I couldn't I couldn't use what my guitar heroes used because it was ridiculously impractical for a Tasmanian cover band guitar player.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. I I. I I was the same, mate, where I would see all these guys using it and assume that, oh, well, that will just cover everything for me if I mm. had something like that, but not the so case. not the case. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I think they do now. I mean, they're, they're magnificent units, but they're bazillions of dollars. Mm.
0: Now, I was just having a look uh, through the comments there, and my friend Nato that said he had the Roland Bolt 60. Um, yes. He says he, he uses that. <laughs> he's been through every amp under the sun, and it's the cleanest amp he's yep. ever used. And I love it more. Oh, than all right. my, okay. Love it more than my Rivera fifty-five twelve, and it takes pedals like a demon.
1: Wow, that's a big call. It is a big call. Rivera. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I can't I, I can't even pretend to know about that. The Bolt sixty, there you go. But I believe him. Uh, there's some. Good, I mean, this pedal platforms are a different type of amp, right? Like it, it something can be a good pedal platform and be uh you know rubbish as far as gain or anything goes but it can be a really good pedal platform that's just a completely different a different uh way of quantifying your amp right you go, yeah well that channel's got a great gain channel that one's a good pedal platform doesn't mean yeah. it sounds any good it means it's a good pedal platform right <laughs> and it sounds good once you run pedals into it it's it's not yeah one's not the same as the other
0: i'm like that mate I, I hear people talk about oh that's a great pedal platform amp i'm like well yeah. I want an app I can just walk up to, plug my guitar and a cable straight into it and just go, fuck yeah.
1: yeah. Me um, too. Run right, everything roughly on five. That'll about do. Should sound good then. If it Friedman's, doesn't sound good like that, yeah.
0: Friedman Smallbox um, is yeah. what I'm going to get ah. my hands back on again. I, 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 was, I was playing one of those for a couple of years. Right. And, yeah, people would be like, how are you changing channels, man? I'm, I'm not. I'm just hitting a mm. different." And them, just yeah, that reactive and control. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Guitar volume, the lost art of the guitar volume, right? Yep, like that, that and you know, a little bit of chorus of delay on the front. There's your clean sound, crank it back up again, turn that off. There's your dirt. There's your second channel,
0: absolutely. <laughs> like the, absolutely. Lost,
1: the lost art of guitar control. But, um, yeah, I haven't played through a small boxer here. They're glorious. I've got a B100 that I got. Yep. Um, yeah, I got the brown eye when I was uh, for my 40th birthday. And, uh, it's, um, that's a glorious thing it's and it's, you know, the BE. it's kind of like, it's not quite a plexi. It's not quite a JCM 100, 800. It's not quite any Marshall that you know, but it's kind of like the Marshall that you want in a bunch of ways. It's, it's, it's not puristically any of those other things, cause it's not, but you can kind of, you can get close to enough to it of all of those things. Plus, you know, you get a few switches and different things. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that amp. I'll be buried with that amp. That's that's one that you know. I often say my coffin will be shaped like that, and there's a little bee next to me because I yeah. just that, bury me with that one. But I hear the small box is awesome. I've heard some demos online with um, what's uh, he Michael Nielsen, and and they're they're great. So yeah, they're
0: yeah, them. that's that's the amp I want to get again. Um,
1: yeah. Dave just, can do no wrong. Come on, man. she's
0: absolutely. You know, I, 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 I got to say, I, I had the pleasure of sitting with Dave. Oh, yeah, Um, Yeah, with a few different amps um, of his. And I'll be honest, I I, I got it on video. um, We'd both been out drinking the night before. (laughs) 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 And I was sitting there playing. There wasn't much, wasn't many words exchanged in between, but he knew exactly what I was talking about. I'd be playing. I really loved the Steve Stevens head when I had that next to a B100. And I'd be playing, and I'd sort of. Pick on something in the sound that I liked or didn't like, or that no, was liked, and I'd sort of play something that really emphasised that. And I just turned to him and just say, "How do you do that?" And he knew exactly what I yeah. was we talking about. He go, "Oh, and he'd start spitting yeah. out some technical jargon."
1: Um, he does read guitar play as well, doesn't he? That's that's why he's that guy. I think he can just like by a look of by what you play. He goes, "Oh yeah, so blah." And he'll like you seem. That's what you dig in, and yeah, you yeah. just you just knew, yeah, he mm, just. Mm. He just knows that's why he's the guy, isn't he? Yeah. Man, he's, um, he, and he was raving about the – um. I hear he is raving. I didn't hear him say it, but I, I heard it back from a few people that he was ra- raving about there was a tube expander as
2: well. Um, he
0: was, and there, so there, was there, Steve tripander. Stevens. Yeah. Uh, I had Steve right. Stevens on for a chat um, last year, and he, he called in nice and early, like half an hour beforehand, and we were just sitting around having a good old chat. And I yeah. said to him um, – because I – went to see billy idol in, in brisbane only yeah. a couple months before that and i just said to him man your tone was just kicking it was just next level and he said man oh i've started using the uh the boss tube app expander and uh and he started telling me the story of how his heck his tech connected at one time gave it a try yeah. at sound check and he said the sound guy just over the microphone was like man you've got to hear this from out the front he said his wireless was running direct.
1: Was he running? Was he running direct from the back, or was he running still running? Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so he was going through it to his cabs, but then taking a feed out of it to front of house. Front of house. Yeah. And yeah, he just said that is how he'll always um, run his rig now. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: It's yeah. It's one of those really those few transparent things. I mean, I don't, I think I've, no, I shouldn't say I lost count, but I've had a lot of uh, those juice extractor type product, you know, like units over the years, I, you know, the, oh, I can't remember if I had a Marshall power Brake, but I've certainly used one at one point. And then uh, Rockman had one, and then I've had a couple of THDs, the, um, the bad cat um, leash, uh, the SIR one, the reactive load. So I've had, you know, too many of these over the years and they all have various um they they just change sli- things slightly right like they you know some things are like hitting a brick wall for the amplifier so they, they change it too much and that's um you know like, like the the older style ones were just designed to take the heat off it right and they just yep. but you lost that you lost that thing that there was some sponginess and some some pushback that you lost because it must. I mean, I've heard that described, you know, for the amplifier, it's like seeing a brick wall instead of a speaker. It just doesn't get anything back. It's just going bang and it's hitting. It's just not It's not working in that ebb and flow that we talked about earlier the way it's supposed to. Whereas, um, you know, like so a reactive load. That, that does it because it's reactive. Um, uh, but with the Walser well, Tube Expander, you've got various uh, speaker configurations that that amp can see. Not what necessarily comes out the other side because that's irs and you know like the load impulse responses in there to have various sounding cabs but feeling cabs that's the the, the you know part of the secret sauce anyway the yeah, right. there was a bunch of great nerd stuff in that but it's the fact that you can choose your configuration of speaker that your amp is feeling <laughs> makes it feel it back right as they say that it's not how an amp plays you it's not how you play an amp it's how it plays you back you know like you've yeah. got to have something yep. going both ways right like an instrument and that's, you know, part, part of that, and that, you know, like I said, there's many parts of a tube expander, but part of that is selecting whether it's a 212 or a you know, quad box or, or any other configuration. So what what you usually run that amp into, so what it usually feels like when you play it. And that, that's part of it. And then the IRs and then the power amp, and then there's so many more things that a tube expander that make it, it sound great. Um, but, um, but certainly being able to dictate, because a lot of those other ones were just either like hitting a brick wall or a set Speaker configuration. So there's a couple of, and I won't start naming names because that's I don't want to do that. But the, certainly other reactive loads are usually set on a type of speaker configuration. Yeah. And that's it. Don't necessarily even say what that is. It might be a 212 configuration, might be a 412 configuration. But yep. it's kind of just one. Whereas with the tube expander, you can select which one you want your amp to see. And that would be appropriate yeah, right. if you're running a Fender in a Fender in, and you want it to see a 212. You're on a Marshall, and you want it to see a 412 because that's how it'll feel natu- more natural to you when you play it. So that's that's certainly a huge advantage with, with the tube and, expander.
0: And that's something that yeah. I haven't heard any of the other guys talk about. I've got a, um, mm. a two notes torpedo oh, okay. capital oh, yeah, X yeah, yeah. right here. Yeah. I've got Excellent. a uh, Freyant power station just back here. Yes, But it's as yet, far that. as I'm aware, both those, the, the load is reactive but, set. but mm. set to a particular configuration. Well, what is it? Yeah. 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 So what other... Yeah, the... it
1: tube expander has a whole thing, has a whole um, diagram on the top. I just actually you might want to do expander. I'm just trying to think about that. i trying to remember what the diagram looks on like at the top. You might want to bring that up because it shows a bunch of stuff. I always say it's got its instruction manual on the lid. It's kind of got... I'm just trying to think where the top is. There it is. Okay. So if you bring up a picture um let's
0: see if i can navigate uh the website while i'm got this software up. yeah
1: well well if you yeah if you can bring up um if you just uh search for Watson tube expander and search the top down like the, the photo of the top of it it shows you how many of these are available But I'll just start telling you before you bring that up. So it's labelled recommended setting of reactive load, right? So not too many units where you can have a setting for the reactive load. It's just either reactive load or it isn't, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But this one starts with mini combo, which is a one by 8 speaker. And it changes the resonance and presence as well. So mini combo, which is a one by 8 deluxe combo, which is a one by 12 There's about two different, um, there's two different 112s. There's a 212, there's a 410 or two 410s um, and four different quad boxes closed back with diff- with various resonance and presence to them. So that's kind of major, right? So the fact that you're amp, because, you know, we speak in weird terms, don't we? Brown sound, you know, soft, you know, it's all about how you feel and how those descriptive words come out of feelings, right? Yep. So... That that feeling does change things, and you know it's not a it's not a setting in there because it doesn't change things. It certainly does. Wow! So you get to select what you want it to feel like, and you yep. get to change them and just see what they sound like, how they do change it I mean, you what you might like the way your amp, your plexi sounds like through a one, eight, one by eight inch speaker that you would never want to hear it through, but you might well like the way it feels through it. Who, no, who yep. knows? You know, they're all.
0: They're all I would really like. I would really like to do a shootout between. The other mm. load boxes I've got here, and, yeah, and yeah, one yeah. of those, yep. um, just yeah. to see if that is something I, I can feel uh, when I'm playing, hear mm. a difference. Now, um, yeah. What and else? And by the way,
1: they don't, I, mean, I didn't mean to say any of them sound bad. They all sound good. All of those units, those two units you just listed there, sound great. You know, they, they all sound various degrees of good. Just, what other uh, tricks the does the um,
0: does the tube amp expander have up its sleeve? Does it have built-in effects as well?
1: Yeah. Got building effects, yep. So it's got a compressor, delay, reverb. It's kind of got um, effects that would be appropriate for post-production. So I like to say that it's like the closest you can get to a post-production effect live because you've got, usually when you're on your effects and your effects loop, even the cleanest effects you want in your effects loop, like reverb and delay, let's make it real simple, right? Reverb and delay. You want those as clean as you possibly can. But the fact is when they go out of your preamp into them and back into your power amp, you actually want power out distortion, right? So as you turn it up, you're going to get some power amp distortion. Guess what that does to your lovely pristine 24, you know, 24 know, bit uh, delays and reverbs. Your pristine quality studio quality reverbs and delays get squished into this valve power amp. And that's fine, but it's not exactly how you actually wanted it because they're transparent effects. You want them to be transparent. They're not once they're colored by the power amp, right? so what you really want is no effects through your amp other than in the front and then after your amp after it's mic'd up then you want the front of the house guy to add some reverb and delay because that's the only way they're actually going to be transparent or in a recording scenario added later through the studio monitors and everything yeah so with the a expander you can crank your amp head into it get it exactly where you like add pristine digital reverbs and delays um some of the algorithms from the RV 500 and 500, I think they are from memory that, I think that's right. But then you amplify them. It has uh, an amplifier in it as well. That stays clean. It's a solid state parent, right? So it stays cleaner than a valve amp. So as you reamp it and you turn it up again, you've got these pristine clean reverbs and delays after your amps already mashed its signal into there and it's got all that juicy goodness to it but you're not doing that to the delays and reverbs. You've got those in a beautiful like studio nice. quality as much as, your, as much as your speaker configuration will allow because that'll squish it a bit too, right, <laughs> your speakers. But it'll, it's just a clean version. So to me, it's like, you know, it's, it's as close as you can get live to running post-production effects that you add yeah, right. in your studio later. Cool. Mm. So, so in that way, you, it's some super clean.
0: Do you have to use that solid-state power amp that's in it or can you go through... To your speaker cabs, and just use the the IRs and everything. You can go uh, straight through. Yep. Uh, let me just
1: where is it? find a fo- if you find a photo of
0: it's probably a picture of the rear of it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It shows all the ins and outs. That'd be a better way to do it because you can see there. Um, where are we? Open image new tab. There. So, you know, more ins and outs. I think I saw the front panel. Yeah, because it's it's got its own effects loop as well. So you can also run your own effects as well as the built-in ones. Okay.
0: That was another question was whether it had an effects loop. Yeah,
1: Yeah. series of parallel, of course. So you can, you know, run the different options. Um, uh, Where are we speaking A and B. don't know the damn configuration of it. Where are we? Ed Lim, our current guitar guy at Boss Guitar Guy is looking at me shaking his head right now. I have no doubt if he's watching. Ed, and if you're not watching, why aren't you watching, Ed? Shout out to Ed. Uh, Input level, so you set the input level. Yep, and there's impedance, parallel speaker outputs. I can't remember in the configuration if you can have it going straight through. I can't remember, I think it all Goes to reactive load and gets reamped. I don't think. No, I can't remember off the top of my head. Rick, I'm not going to say. That's okay,
0: mate. Say. I would rather I remember. you not spread I'll disinformation. I'll find out for you. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. it. I mean, there's just so much in there. I haven't used it like that, certainly. I've only ever used it to reamp. Um, and where is it? I want to say something else about it. Uh, one second I'd look it up over here, but it's actually
0: quite um, hard to so, navigate the web page yeah, and, st- and steer my, um, my streaming software at the same time.
1: Well, so, so, yeah, so I mean, so you can run, you know, post that, you can also run um, the effects are in stereo, even though you're probably just running a mono-ant through it, but the effects are in stereo, so you can run the direct outs and the, and the IRs, whatever IR you want to select, to the front of house. So you've got all that and glorious stereo as well. Um, even though you're just running, you know, normal mono on the, on the, on the, um, on stage, but because most people I hear, unlike you and me, Rick, most people I hear run mono amps. I don't know what's what do wrong that. with them. I know exactly. That's what I would say too. But the best bit of nerdity, my favorite bit of nerdity about the loss expander is its use of the Fletcher Munson curve. Who gets to use that in a sentence ever, right? So Fletcher Muncy curve here's my, here's my basic guitar player explanation is how your, your, how the human ear perceives, um, uh, frequencies as they get louder. So if, so IE, if you, um, had something that was completely flat response, barking at you and you turned it up, and it still sounded the same and read the same as far as the frequencies are being thrown at you you would perceive it differently as it gets louder or softer you just that's what your ears do so in the was expander you can turn on or off the ability to as you turn it up or down with the with the amplifier that's on board it allows for the Fletcher-Munson curve so it can sound the same as you bring the volume down even though you have got the amp cranked to the hilt you turn it on or off because you will notice, like as you turn it down without it on, it does perceive to the, EQ, you know, the perception of the EQ changes. But if you turn that setting on as you turn it up, it appears to say exactly the same getting so, out of. So it's, gradu-
0: it's gradual. It's not like, oh, we've hit this threshold Yeah, yeah and it's, bang, it's and kicks in. Yeah, it's a moving in. feast. Yeah, yeah, that's because awesome. it
1: changes that the Fletcher-Munson's curve is a, is a moving feast. It doesn't say the same. It accentuates slightly in different frequencies that goes up. There's a, there's wonderful, there are wonderful graphs done by much smarter people than me on the um, on the internet you can look that up but you just don't get to throw in it has the it allows to Fletcher Munson into a product demo ever so i thought that's that was the ultimate bit of guitar nerdity that it will allow that's you a to really have a really cool perception cool of feature that's
0: a really cool feature
1: awesome it's just um, so crazy like who thinks to put those things in
0: yeah, awesome. yeah yeah
2: yeah uh
0: so I'm, I'm interested just in the effects that are in it as well is it just you mm. like reverbs delays
1: and compressor and yeah
0: compressor yep
1: reverb like compressor yeah and then, and then you get effects like to add whatever you like but it's but it really is designed to be those effects that you would run the clean effects you run at the end of the chain yep. right because that is the end of the chain that's after the amplifier that's after the power amp after the speaker after everything Yep. But, you know theoretically. Um the way that runs so so it is it is only those effects unless you're going to run you know you're probably not going to run well you'd run much mod- you can run, run modulation over it afterwards if you want i mean you know there's that thing we run modulation in the front or in the you know in the effects loop either way it sounds different but they it, it serves different purposes so you could try that but it's basically got the effects that you know you would most likely use in that position of the chain um and they're Beautiful and pristine effects, and like I said, as they get amplified, they stay more like that rather than getting, you know, tube squished, which is wonderful and all. But you don't necessarily want your your reverbs and delays to get the tube squished. You know, at the yeah, end, you yeah, like exactly. them to sound like they're supposed to sound. Unless you're the edge and you run them in the front, and you want that distortion on them, and at least the creasing distortion and all that sort of stuff. And that's a whole
0: other well, thing. It works for Brian May as cool. well. Brian May also yeah yeah that's right his. yeah yep. Yeah. So, oh,
1: what a glorious sound live. My God. It's incredible.
0: What's that? Um, Brian May?
1: Uh, Brian May. Or? Oh, yeah, live. I That's amazing. I saw
0: them just before COVID hit. It was their last show in Australia. Uh, they were about yeah. to jump on a plane the next day and fly back home, and that was the last big show yeah. before uh, COVID hit and changed things for a lot of people. Yeah um
1: talking about guitar control that is, that man's the master right it's one sound one gain stage everything's just on i bought greg free talking about greg fryer in um in Berg's thing right and um i had a chance to speak to greg fryer makes his treble boosters and i got a lovely guy right and i talked to him on the phone and i just started extracting stories like an hour later he's still telling me stories about i'm going oh, how good are they and he's so quietly spoken and gentlemanly right he's just like oh yes and then this happened and this and i'm going magnificent story, Greg. He's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, we just did this and we just, he's so mild-mannered, you know, and he's, and, um, but he was, you know, he was saying which one to buy for uh, the, the rack unit, the Morgan rack unit that's, you know, like the Morgan AC rack unit because I want to run it into that and the Synergy unit. And we're talking about that, but because he said, because Brian just has the one that there's no on switch. It's just on. It's just, yep. it's always on. It's just, yep. you know, attached to his strap and that's it. Yep. It's like, there's no, Channels, which and all the you know all the buttons are shaved off the top of those boxes, yep. and they're just just at like a cranked empty container as far as tone goes. They just sit there and wait to be blasted in the front end. So uh-huh. he's the master of that volume volume control and, and pickup selection.
0: Well, Greg was sending me prototypes because uh, I was playing in a Queen tribute show, and he was sending me prototypes to run before he'd send them to the boss. And oh, there was no. Awesome. On off switch or level switch, it was right. just plug into this, and that's the sound. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One really I, interesting I, thing I, with, with that was that you had to have it the very first thing in your signal chain, even before your wireless, mm. which is why Brian May has it, yeah, on his, on his strap because yeah. it needs to go yeah. from the guitar to that, then to the wireless. Otherwise, that whole thing of rolling back the volume knob does not work, Don't and um. Yep. Yeah, so I've got this. And
1: there's something that needs not a buffer in front of it. There we go. That shouldn't have a buffer in front of it or it won't work. It's a classic example, right? Don't yep. run a boss pedal before that. <laughs> it, won't, it won't work the way, same way. It, that's Yeah, so he, that I eventually got the one that's the deluxe, which has got all the different touring models in it because yep. he wasn't quite sure in the end how it would react with the preamp rather than just a Vox. He could tell yep. me that, but he went, I don't know what it's going to work like and it was a great decision because it's it's got a bunch of different variations and like you said you got to be able to mess of stuff right that's what did your head in about the dc2 so i can't just have four buttons that's not enough options i've got to have i've got to tweak ability but um you know that guy doesn't need it <laughs> <laughs> brian probably knows better you know whenever well, you like you think you know like go they're doing that but i think maybe i'll want this they're probably right
0: you know um <laughs> I reckon. A big part of his sound, people overlook that, is the fact that he placed her a coin, and I've got one right there.
1: Mm. Aha, look at that. The six so points, isn't
0: it? It is, um, but yeah. that one actually had his own head instead of the Queen's head. Whoops, back that way, oh, it's all backwards. No, no couldn't, can't see that one, but th- that, yeah, right. that's actually Brian's head. Right. See the hair?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. Mistaken,
0: <laughs> yeah. so i was using <laughs> five cent pieces because that well the sixpence has been long discontinued yeah yeah and uh the five australian five cent piece is the closest thing to uh, a sixpence right? in shape and just the serrated edge as well and the that, serrated edge yeah that yeah. is the such a big part of his sound man if you're trying to play something so you like,
1: use that in the tribute you use oh that yeah. in the tribute band
0: oh yeah oh wow yeah we cool. cool. um like that level of that's good my last show I did with them, we played with Icehouse, and uh, oh, right. we were told, "Don't try and meet Ivor Davies; he's a very private person." Ivor Davies turns mm. out is a huge Brian May fan. and He tracked me down, and I, <laughs> I could, I couldn't get <laughs> rid of right. the guy. Yeah, that sounds wrong, but no. That's um, fantastic. his his tour manager was tapping him on the shoulder, going, "Dude, everyone's in the car waiting for for you," you know, and he's like. Man, I'm talking to Brian. I'm talking to Brian. I'm talking to uh, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he said the to me. The five cent piece. So that's interesting. That's he really said interesting. to me, "Yeah, you were using the coin. I said, yeah. How do you know? He goes, because as we were playing, yeah. I'm seeing these five cent pieces everywhere. And I'm bumping the guys in the band, pointing at them, going, he's using the coin. He's using the coin. <laughs> and you're dropping
1: them like Brian. Because dro- that's the thing with Brian, isn't it? He drops them because he uses such a feather-like touch.
0: And I did he drop he them a lot. So I'd them have them the everywhere. Price. Uh, just to, well, right, right, there goes right. another yeah yeah. very hard to hold on to but yeah, you, yeah. you adjust to it you get used to it and that's man you try and play something like under pressure that intro and not use that coin yeah, yeah. man that, that just doesn't sound foresting. right it needs yeah. that that chirp that's that metal the on metal
1: to yeah.
0: that happens at the start mm.
1: yeah that's awesome Josh we've
0: been cool. um, we've been blabbing what? on for two hours already mate
1: I just I know well I have been yeah you're right
0: <laughs> and uh oh, as i said at the start i, I wanted to, to use this one as a bit of a, a get to know you for the viewers so that i can have yeah. you back on in the future when um, we have new and exciting things from roland to talk about um roland and, and boss um and
1: i'd love to get some of the other guys on too some of our um some of our current product guys they're please do got some um some great nuggets so maybe we can we can bring them in i not even uh there are some other special guests who might be able to get up the chain a little bit, maybe at some point too, I might, I'll see how we go with that. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be good to get some, some of our other product guys on too would be a, would be very, very useful. I mean, I've got some legacy stories. They have some more current stories sometimes I would think yeah. about some of the more current products. That's, it's a, yeah, it's always useful having those guys on. So guys like, um, Ed Lim, um, and uh, he's our he's current guy, guy, guitar guy. Matt Walsham, who's our sales manager, but was the previous guitar guy, guitar product specialist. Um, that, they'd have some some great stuff to share. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe we can do a bit of a um, an all in talk at different times. I think well, that that's very doable, well.
0: mate. With as you saw, just the uh, the link that I sent you to get you in. I think I can have up to four guests. Um... Come in uh yeah great quite simply by sending that link so um yeah let's do that sounds good yep um excellent mate I, i've got quite Thank a backlog so back- quite quite a backlog of these things now with some great guests i think it's only a matter of time before yeah, yeah, yeah. the youtube algorithm picks up on me and starts putting these in people's faces um and when yeah. it does it'd be nice to have some regulars like yourself with, with and the boss team to come along um, but
1: more than happy to
0: Josh yeah. thank you so much for your time tonight mate um, thank everybody. you very much for, for listening to me Rick and um, thank you to, to anyone who's watching see I, you said you liked that's the applause right. before used, used and I yeah, yeah I ran them thank up you. thanks ladies yeah they're all just over there um, <laughs> that's lovely thanks Rick folks Appreciate that, that did tune in and watch this even if you're watching this back uh, as a podcast on all your favourite podcast sites because I do upload those later to those as well because some people like to listen to these and not watch um,
1: yeah yeah
0: it was Charles sillier that put the idea in my head one of Australia's best luthiers man. he was going he's saying man he is, I, yeah. I, I really um, love watching your, your, your podcast but it distracts me from my work I'm trying to work on these guitars and any chance you can upload <laughs> them just the audio so I can listen to them as I'm driving around and keep my eyes on the road uh, that's a great man, idea there's so, a lot
1: of work in his guitars he makes some beautiful guitars my doesn't goodness. he he Doesn't makes he? great instruments. Wow! I think I should get yeah. him
0: on for a bit of a chat as Fantastic. well. If you're, oh, that's Charles. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Hey, once again, mate, thank you so much cool. for your time. I'm going to hit the magic button. Thanks, Ray. It's Rick. the end screen button. It's this one right here. And when I hit that, this magic logo goes.